Hello, debaters. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm Michael Petro, your host and one of the fellow shit disturbers, agitators, argumentative pricks, whatever you want to call us. Uh, one of the debaters here on the show. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you very much for tuning in during a very crazy time. We know that your brain could be elsewhere and so could your ears. So thanks for giving us a shot during uh, during the COVID craziness. Uh, this week, this show is supported by our friends down at Proper Design Works, a custom clothing and embroidery manufacturer here in our hometown of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, Chris Goatsman and his team of wizards, as I like to refer to them, uh, are amazing at what they do. Uh, they do they do a custom clothing side of the business where they will take your measurements and, and talk to you about what you like to wear, what your style is, and then make something specific to your body frame and your type. None of these, you know, I got the same t-shirt as 10 other motherfuckers in this room. And then they have a custom clothing and embroidery side that that's for big bulk orders, right? They do, they, they, oh man, what can't they do? They do hats and t-shirts and hoodies and sweaters galore. <laughs> um, I've had some clothing made by Chris and his team and they're the only shirts that I still hang on to, to this very day. Um, so not only are they good, but they last a while too. So if you're a charity, if you're a business and you need some swag, if you're a baseball team and you want a new uniform, uh, please contact them. They, they, they can handle big orders. They are, they've got a massive, a massive shop. Uh, and it's super cool. I've been in there a couple of times and, uh, it's just interesting to see like, you know, more than one thing being made at once on an assembly line, but that's just me. And that means nothing right now. So if you want to check out our sponsor, uh, head to Instagram, search properties at proper design works. And if you like what you see and you want to start talking to them, uh, info at proper That's info at proper for the email. Thank you, Proper Design Works. We appreciate it. Uh, this week on the show, uh, we're doing a real talk with Danielle Kaihar, one of the new debaters on the team. J.D. Renaud, another new debater on the team. And our friend Rob Strachan. We did a couple episodes back. We brought Rob on to talk about... What did we talk about? Why am I drawing a blank? It's my show. We talked about home theater setup and uh, what the best way to do that in, in your home would be because he's an audio-video professional for many, 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 many years. He's very tech-savvy. Tech so we had him come back on the show. Uh, me and Rob went down a dark rabbit hole on David Fincher. We went over, we did like a celeb, uh, celebrity, a director centerfold on David Fincher. Uh, me and Danielle talked about like, does a longer movie really, is that necessary? Is that director, you know, kind of showing their metaphorical dick and being like, look what I can do. I don't edit. Uh, we also talked about score versus soundtracks. Like what we prefer more. Do we prefer something very John Williams or do we prefer something very guardians of the galaxy? And then JD and me, uh, we did, uh, like dead, but not, you know, when someone dies, they still live on film. Well, we went over Philip Seymour Hoffman's career because we're both huge fans. So that was what me and JD went down on. Down on. That's weird. <laughs> um, besides that, uh, if you want to check out our website, we got a website, uh, therealdebaters.podbean.com. That's therealdebaters.podbean.com. Uh, you can check us out there. We've got our cast bios. Our merch stand is there. It's where we try to post some fun stuff, which I'm way behind on. I'm sorry. I know I keep saying it. I will do it one day. Uh, what else? Oh, our email address. If you want to shoot us an email for an idea for the show or you want to talk to us about something we've argued and you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole with us, uh, feel free. Uh, whatever, whatever you want to talk to us about, we'll try to get back to you on. It's therealdebaters at gmail.com. That, again, is the email, therealdebaters at gmail.com if you want to shoot us something. 
I got nothing else for you, so tune in for a really great real talk. It's really long in the teeth. I know we just we got nothing else to do, so we we really had we had some great conversations. I was very excited to have all three of these people on. So, oh, one more thing. Um, next show we're going back to our new format. I know I mentioned it in uh, some of the previous podcast writing. Uh, we're gonna have a debate. Uh, we're gonna try it a different way where I'm gonna I'm, I'm the mediator, so to speak, and you got to prove to me why your pick is the best. So our next episode um, will will be all about disaster movies and the actors that have been in them and the characters that they've played. Which one do you think could take us through COVID if COVID went really crazy? Without further ado, I'll cue the reel and you enjoy the show. Hello, Danielle. Hello. <laughs> We're not even. Let's just address the elephant in the room. Um, <laughs> we, we, we just talked a really good 40 minutes of some pretty interesting shit. Would you not agree? I, I would agree. And uh, we, were, we were going back and forth. We were challenging each other's ideas and seriously was like a bright, shining moment for the whole show. <laughs> no, it wasn't, but... <laughs> I wish it was recorded because I didn't hit record for 40 minutes. <laughs> so so we've decided to restart because we only got halfway through. So we're going to start with the stuff we didn't talk about. Um, and then maybe we'll we should challenge ourselves. Let's 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 just outdo what we just did. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to hold the bar too high, but I think I think us two gabbers can can probably come through. So pretty choice impersonations done I know that will never make it into the annals of history as they once were I know you're not supposed to do the same bit twice I know that's <laughs> that's like one rule of comedians I know of and oh actually all oh, the guys in Ocean 11 say the same thing you never do the same job twice um but but I really I really think we should both try another Al Pacino impression later on <laughs> just and if it's not the right time we're not going to force it. Not going to square peg round hole this shit. But I think if if a moment should arise where we can compare the the acting quality of Al Pacino to somebody, one of us will. Well, we'll see. We want to, like I said, we don't want to set the bar too high. Anyways, um, so <laughs> let's get right to it. Um, I would love to know what. Well, I know what you've been watching, but tell everybody what crime show you've been watching on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, I have been watching Lorena. Which, if I may, is that about Lorena Bobbitt? Per, per it chance? is indeed. Okay, so um, I had one episode of that in me, and I kn- uh, maybe it was more. You can probably tell me if I'm... I, I saw a little bit of it, but I saw right up to the part where the thing on my body gets chopped off <laughs> on his body, and I was like, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> I know what happens. So... Tell me what else happens in it. What's what's what what do they what do they discover about Miss Bobbitt that the world didn't know about previously? 
I mean, to be fair, I don't really know that they're going over anything that hadn't previously been discussed, okay. other than we do get to hear from Lorena and John Bobbitt. Um, so it's almost, I have the feeling somebody saw Tanya, the Tanya Harding movie, uh, and was like, hey, we need to get in on this. Yeah, there's there's some money to be made here on crazy bitches from the 90s. <laughs> I, and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Okay, so like I remember, like she's. I just remember her being so like blasé about the whole thing. Does that continue through on through through on throughout? I think at this, uh, yes, to a degree. I think there's some nervousness in it because there is a point at which she just kind of laughs a little maniacally that I think was more nervous laughter than anything else. <laughs> But it is an odd moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I. What I obviously I I was I know Shauna I think we we saw it come up and we were like oh we should totally get into that, and then we got into it and I was like I'm good I'm done that looks that that looks bad, and uh, I don't remember much of the story afterwards. So like, doesn't he does he do porn? Does John Bobbitt do do porn after? everything after oh okay he's an everyman all right yeah jack of all trades (laughs) master of none (laughs) so so where where does the story end for those who may you know want to find out more about the penis hacking woman of the 20th century to be honest i've been saving the final episode okay i can't be a hundred percent certain um but it's been just a, an interesting journey, sort of getting the details of something I was a little too young to really grasp all the details of as a younger person. Um, I mean, I was I was old enough to understand that she had chopped off a guy's dick. But beyond that, it just kind of fell away from me and him. Uh, so it was kind of hard to, to really understand what was going on there and sort of what the results of just everything at that time even was. Do they go into, like, where where, where did she go next? Like, do, do we find out how her life changed for whatever? I I would assume so. I mean, they are talking to, to John and Lorena recently. Um, she appears to have fared better than him, but I could be wrong. Uh, she just seems to be sitting in a nicer house than him. <laughs> so. Isn't that like funny? Like I've I've noticed, and I've said this to other people. I think when I was talking to Mark about how like documentaries and and all the video feeds that are online now from everybody at home, I'm always paying attention to what's in the background more than what's coming out of their mouth. A hundred percent. Like Jimmy Fallon has a slide in his house, and I was like, where does that start? I know where it ends. It ends right behind <laughs> him. But where does it start? Uh, okay, so she fa- like, did she get married again? Like, that's a big like when your life is all over the newspaper and your husband's dick is all over the freeway, you really don't have much room to navigate life anymore. You've got these narrow pathways that you've set for yourself. So, how does like did she get married again? Um, I want to say yes, but at the same time, I'm not entirely certain. That I recall. I was so just interested in sort of the courtroom aspect more than the actual 
drama of of them in their daily lives today, other than the fact that John Babbitt, I believe, had a, a very fancy-looking recliner that looked very similar to something you might see at, at Grant Park <laughs> Theater, and it just made me long for movies all the more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know that I know that chair. That's the chair I've watched so many great movies. I'm not allowed to watch it anymore. Yeah, those chairs. Thank you, Mark Cuban, for whatever you did for Landmark Theaters. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, is it a, is it a watch? Like, should people check it out? Should they kind of skim over it? Is is I mean, watch episode one. If if it has you, it's just three more episodes of that. Um, hour plus each okay uh but yeah if if you're not in it in episode one there's at least nothing in episode two three and half of four that will really make it worth your while if you're not not into it by the end of episode one okay um we'll shift gears here that's my sound effect um true crime you watch says you watch true crime and, and forensic files and cold case files. What is the draw for those? I've tried to watch them and I guess I'm just a bitch when it comes to production value. Cause they like, they're very gritty. They're not, there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance to them. They're not shined up. They're just as is. And I guess I like a little bit of, you know, wax to shine things up and make it look a little bit better, but it just looks like somebody's home video to me. But what is it? Like, cause Shauna loves Dateline and all this stuff. Like I, I just, I like I, the Law and Order, all this stuff. What is it that that's such a big pull? And like, what do you specifically like about it? Bill Curtis. Bill Curtis. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of narration. Okay. I'm the kind of person who will put something on. Like, if I'm at home, here's the reason I love movies. Let's go eight different ways at once. Yes, because we did thirty before, so let's just keep fucking doing it. <laughs> I, I don't or maybe my entire life, just don't have a great attention span. So I like going to the movies because I have no choice but to pay attention to the <laughs> movie. And I know that if I wait for it to come home and try and stream it, I'm not really going to watch the movie. I'm going to watch the movie while I'm on my phone. I'm going to watch the movie while I'm like doing the dishes. I don't watch properly at home. That said, if you're watching true crime stuff with a narrator, you don't actually have to watch anything. Because no. as you pointed out, what's on screen is usually garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But okay, I get the sale. I get the sell on that, right? You like you like the story. You don't care about the, the really bad props in the background. Yeah, or I do try and avoid reenactments <laughs> um, still, but... Yeah, it's not a huge, huge downer for me if they're just rerunning the same B-roll of a piece of crime scene <laughs> tape blowing in the wind. It's like it's like the old Spider-Man cartoon where like the background never changes. Yeah, it's just one alley, two alleys, a brick building, yeah. another alley. Yeah. Getty image after Getty image after Getty clip after Getty clip. I'm like, okay, guys, like some of us are, you know, operating on a different plane here. We ask more, give us more. But uh, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I get like, it war is his voice like a warm glass of milk? Oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah. Okay. I don't No, I get it. Like, 
I I don't really have a a thing like that. Well, no, no, my no, it's I don't have a thing. But I do understand how the ASMR of it, or the the soothing nature, or where your mind goes, like it triggers your mind to start doing weird shit and thinking about the scenario, which is probably way more interesting than what they're putting on the screen. Much. Okay. Any whack, like wacky, crazy, like, like, is there a lot of Dahmer stuff still going on out there? Are these shows, like, for anybody who's never watched one, like me, like, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know where to start really. I, like, that, that, that said, I love a good true crime, true crime documentary, like a six or five episode thing that I'm definitely for. But the single episode, like, what, what crazy stories have you come across lately? I mean, a lot of what I've been watching are really just reruns from the late 90s and the early 2000s. Oh, okay, so at the height of crazy, okay. Yeah, but they're all also very, I mean, they're very, I was a big fan of um, City Confidential, which was not narrated by Bill Curtis. Um, It was narrated by Paul Whitfield, I believe, (laughs) which was also a great voice. And that one was literally just, a random small town and they spend about 15 minutes just introducing you to this town as if you were watching house hunters. <laughs> and then they lead into commercial breaks with something like it's the last place you'd expect. A <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And then it's just whatever weird small town murder they happen to have there. Okay. Um, but yeah, they're, I keep, feels wrong to call them monster of the week kind of murders because uh, they're real and happened. Yes. Um, but they are also kind of blend together into very similar narratives. Oh, totally. You got to put a little <laughs> bit, of, you got to sprinkle some Hollywood on it to pull the, pull the eye in. That, that would make yeah. perfect sense. So um, I think a lot of them have like a lot of the ones that were kind of toys have now all been made into, um, longer documentaries okay uh, like is it evil genius yes the one about yeah yes. the most so, violent burglary in the history of america exactly so there's there's ones like that that would have just still been in like a half hour little here's this thing that happened crazy right <laughs> Yeah, no, what you don't know, right? Like, it's like I, I put it on. I, it, I'm I'm halfway through it. I want to go back to it. Um, Netflix problems, hashtag. Uh, and I uh, I was like, what? A bomb collar on a fucking pizza delivery? Like, where? What, what movies have you seen that you thought this was the, the idea that was going to get you, you know, money? You know it inspired 30 Minutes or Less with Jesse Eisenberg, right? Okay, see, I heard someone say that. And I was like, you sound like me where you don't really know what you're talking about all the time. So you're probably <laughs> bullshitting. So I don't, I'm going to call bullshit. But that's, is that true? You're the second person who's told yeah. me that. I think oh. Michael Pena's in it too. Yeah. Yeah. I love Michael Pena. End, watch, end of watch. Um, fuck. Michael Pena's uh, <laughs> uh, blue chip or chips. Michael Pena. Soul. F- Did you see chips? Yeah. I didn't. Oh. But he was one of my favorite parts of Ant-Man. Oh, good Lord. He's got a yoga pant obsession in chips that like just fucks up his entire police career. It's 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 Dak Shepard's also like real big directorial debut. Oh, okay. So he had a real big part in it. So it's it soft suggestion. If you like Michael Pena, try out chips, uh, which stands for California Highway 
patrol. No, fuck it. I don't know. Um, back to what we were talking about. Uh, so all in all, if you like true crime, definitely like search out a, a true crime series like the ones you guys like. Chris loves them, too. I've heard him talk about them. I mean, there's just it. There's something to be said for the formula, okay. Being being familiar, um, and I shan't say comforting because that seems very wrong. But <laughs> they are all very formulaic, and you know what you're getting, and you know that if it's on a show like this, that the bad guy gets caught in the end, and everything resolves itself, and when the world carries on. When the what great segue because i was gonna say when the world gets back to normal uh steve taylor buddy of mine who's who's done our little project here a couple times uh he worked on one about cruise ship killers (laughs) so they had to build like a fake cruise set here in winnipeg and it was about like wives or husbands who kill their love like kill their spouse on a cruise ship and it's just it's exactly what you're talking about like just like stock images and stock sounds and really badly shot footage with a great voice telling you the story. And that's all you need. Yeah. Okay. And in these times, you want some comfort, which is a great way to transition without mentioning we're transitioning. Dun, dun, dun. Um, I have always thought comfort movies are a thing. Like if, as, as I talk to more and more people doing this instead of just our little bubble, um, I was like every when you ask the question, "What's your comfort movie?" Every like it, it, it's they're not all the same, but they all fall into comfort movie categories, which is interesting because I don't think there's a lot of conversation about why people watch the same movie over and over and over again. So, um, what are some of your comfort movies that bring you peace of mind during a pandemic? Let's say, and uh, tell me why you like them. Um. Well. There are three movies that I generally keep on my phone because I've bought them off of iTunes. Wow. Yeah. Um, I have sunk too much money into iTunes movies, and it's why I will likely never get to be an Android user. Um, <laughs> I don't. You're just too committed. Yeah. It's sunk, sunk costs. <laughs> but one of them is definitely Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, so good. I have a lot of fun with that one. Um, what is it about? Oh, well, before we before we go on, go here, for it. did were you okay? Did you see the movie before you read the graphic novels, or did you see? Did you read the novels first? I saw the movie first. Okay. Um, I think I had read some of them, but I have a feeling that the last book might not have even been out when they were finishing up the movie. Oh, really? Okay. Um, but I could be confused about that. It's one of those like, hey. That's really cool. And like, wow, that's I that's so smart. Like there are so many scenes in that movie that give me joy just by how they're so smartly written. I very much agree. It's and it it really like I I didn't know anything about it. I tripped on it. Like most of the greatest movies I've ever watched, somebody else told me to watch it. I never found it. I think I can count on one hand how many times I've I've done that and been like, "This is this is one of those movies." You know, you should, you should and then it just kind of travels. Um, that always gets done to me, and that was one of them. And I was like, "What the fuck? Video games, uppercuts, 
boss level ex-boyfriends like so many ridiculous things that just speak to me on so many different levels that that's me though yes i definitely the video game aspect was amazing the fact that it was also very music heavy and music driven um i'm also originally from just outside toronto okay all right that makes a lot of sense yeah, it was also fun to be like, I've been in that second cup where Scott is ordering a Starbucks drink and shouldn't be because he's in a second cup. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great when you get to do that? You're like, I know that place. <laughs> um, where's the castle then? If you're from, if you're originally it's from Castle outside... Loma. Okay, I don't know anything about this castle. It is, it is in Toronto. It is a historic site. Um, school classes go there i have unfortunately never been there but it definitely is it exists it was used um in the original x-men movies i believe at some point i don't oh, know if it was used okay. as xavier's school or not but it was definitely i recall it being featured in it interesting i just remember seeing it and then chris evans is like the 13 chris evans is well the one chris evans <laughs> and then the 12 stuntmen which is probably one of the like he's so perfectly chosen for that because like you know he's not a d-bag but he is so great at being a d-bag in those scenes oh yeah no that's mary elizabeth winstead i mean the 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 frantic changing of hair is so funny his ex-girlfriend the little asian ex-girlfriend woo or like what the hell's her name brie larson no not brie larson brie larson his the girl he dumps for Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, not Brie Larson, which is like oh, Knives Chow. Knives Chow, that's no. it. Not Woo. Knives Chow, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> she dies her hair blue. To... <laughs> yeah. And then she gets she gets the highlights clapped out of her hair. <laughs> she does. That's the best part. Like when 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 he when he uppercuts him and he turns into coins and he's like, oh, bus fare. <laughs> Like that, that transition from like, okay, we just did something really over the top to back to whip smart lines. Um, well, and they were really toonies. It wasn't like they were like Mario coins. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Totally. Canadian it, currency. We are sex, ba-bomb! <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and the cast is really like, it's, it's, I mean, blatantly Canadian in some aspects. Um, but the Brie Larson metric play was really funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know who's a metric fan, but it bled right through. <laughs> it was it was very fun. Um, the the second one that's on your list is is something that I just watched, and now I'm very excited to talk to somebody about because Sean is fed up with me talking about movies with her. She's not, but <laughs> I'm sure she is, but she's not. Uh, so I just recently watched cabin in the woods and it was at the behest of jimmy pressing me watch it you'll love it it'll blow your mind and again very much like scott pilgrim for me where i saw it and was like this is not what i expected i expected a cookie cutter horror movie slash slasher i expected very sam raimi very dawn of the dead very night like just that cheesy 80s but with better makeup and special effects, right? Not a that's fucking the cabin in the woods. That's the cabin. <laughs> so, 
So why do you love it so much? Because I, I, I'm, I'm. That's what we're here to talk about. I, I'll shut up for a second. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Joss Whedon's writing, and he wrote it. He wrote it with uh, another Drew Goddard, I believe, who also wrote some of my favorite episodes of TV. And they just there's a fun poetry to some of the stuff that they put together, and just a ridiculousness in the characters and the idea that they can sort of take this genre of horror and flip it entirely on its head and mock all the tropes as existing <laughs> for a purpose. Yeah, totally. Like it's, it, it hides so well behind its title, behind its cover art, behind its premise like they there is nothing about and spoiler alert if you haven't seen it it's from 2011 <laughs> um there's nothing about an underground facility there's nothing about many monsters being held nothing about end of world times nothing about fucking sigourney weaver like so many nothing burgers that you that just pop up out of nowhere that turn into these little pockets of joy like the the merman scene oh my god <laughs> Oh my fucking! I was like, "What is? Oh, it's a that's a merman, and he wanted a merman. His money was on the merman." But explain to me this: I don't understand. The ending was too abrupt for me. That's my only dislike of it. Um, but explain to me, in layman's terms, the whole purpose of. I mean, I understand why they were there. They were there as a sacrifice, but. I maybe missed something between what was underneath them in that end fight versus all of the other things. I thought all the other things were the problem. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> the, the, the factory full of monsters were nothing. The factory full of monsters were as much a prop as the teenagers who were being sacrificed. The point was that we need to appease the old gods. And what you saw at the end was an angry old god awakening and and coming to just wreak havoc upon the yeah. world. Yeah, giant hand out of the grave. Okay, yeah. okay, all right. Then that, that I kind of, because I, I really like the route of, like, they have to pick, like, how they made it, like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of, but not. <laughs> well, the fun thing that I I feel like in reading just random things when it came out, what a lot of people seem to have not given enough credit is the idea that there are these different um, institutions or whatever kind of working with these rituals, but they all have to fit the ancient tropes of the people. So at some point we get to see Japan, and Japan has a creepy, creepy schoolgirl <laughs> doing evil, creepy schoolgirl thing. Yeah. <laughs> because that would be the Japanese ritual. Okay. Uh, thank so, you for holding my hand. American and North American tropes, you need to still follow those rules. They have to pick their poison. It has to be sort of a tropey kind of villain, except for the merman. That was never tropey. I just, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I'm like, it. go on. <laughs> and then they, they have to meet their end accordingly. And as they mentioned, they work with what they have. So it doesn't have to fit perfectly. It just has to fit as close as possible to what the trope should be. Because she's not a virgin, but she <laughs> comparatively is the virgin character 
And so that'll just have to do. <laughs> so that's where the joke is. Okay, so it's like we're playing into everything you've come to anticipate about these movies. But if we get it too on the nose, it's not going to be as funny as if we almost have a virgin. Yeah. Like, <sighs> they, they don't have to work that hard. They just no. have to work hard enough. Because heaven forbid they have to find all of those tropes in actual people and then drag them <laughs> to a cabin in, in the, the woods. woods. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is in and itself the irony, right? Like it's, it's the exact thing that you would expect to it's it's the perfect vessel to show you something that you wouldn't expect and bradley whitford um and richard uh richard drake richard i fucking can't remember for the life of me wish you all were here one of us would know um it, the, the the two guys in in the facility facilitating yeah. everything their their slapstick is is brilliant like the back and forth the who's in on the company pool for what uh what, what they're picking right like it's a very office environment that's not an office Zombies are different than zombie redneck torture family. <laughs> and it bleeds Buffy. It bleeds Joss Whedon. Like, I looked at it and was like, this feels like an episode of Serenity. It feels like an episode of Buffy. It feels like there's just that, his, the even down to the saturation and the colors that he picks are all very Joss Whedon. Agreed. And the man is, the man is a beast. I don't I think he was running... He was running Buffy. Um, what was the one he did after Buffy? Because there was a point where three shows he was on, they all overlapped for two seasons. Uh, might have just been Angel. Angel, Angel and Buffy, Buffy did have a bit of overrun. Yep, but there was a third one that wasn't... Oh, was he on Dollhouse? What, sorry, what? Was he part of Dollhouse when it initially started up? I cannot confirm nor deny... But I feel that this show... What was the one with uh, Ben Affleck's ex, Jennifer Gardner? Alias? No, that was J.J. Abrams, right? Yeah, that was J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Okay. I, I, if, not, if two shows at the same time is still a fucking attest to being a showrunner. Like, that's... You, you run your life into the ground as a showrunner. It was actually a really interesting documentary about showrunners, I think, on Netflix called Showrunners at one point, And it was all about showrunners. And they go over like a day of what writing in a room and then going to set and rewrites and production. And it's like 17 hour days for your like foreseeable future. <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it impresses me. I digress. So um, moving on to some more uh, in-depth risque conversation. Um, I uh, I wanted to get into walkouts and turnoffs not such literal turnoffs but a movie that you're watching and you're like fuck this i am done now there's a lot of shit out there that i don't classify in this with us right like if we trip over some like you know like a sharknado thing obviously you're gonna turn this shit off right you're gonna give it as little of your time as possible but a movie where you're like oh i'm so excited to see this and then you're like fuck that what or at least where you're willing to, like, I know you say you're a masochist and that's the joke in all this, but um, what movie were you just like, I, I can't, I, I can't even. I, I realized in talking about, there was one I almost did walk out of that I, I for, had forgotten about, um, which was actually 
the like, most recent vacation movie. Oh, with Ed Helms um, and Christina Applegate? Yeah. Okay. When five minutes in, there was just a giant joke about pubes, and I knew that that was really the pinnacle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we've crested on Mount Pube. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, this is how we're starting, and we're not going to get any better. Right. Uh, <laughs> not even but, out of the gate, and we got a dick and fart joke. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, there's crass humor is... It has its time and place when it's funny, but this wasn't even managing to be funny. It was, fun <laughs> it was masquerading. How dare you? Yeah, it was like, I have heard pubes are funny. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody once told me about pubes. Write a joke. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I don't, I, I, I tried to really, really get hard on myself about this. I'm like you, That's which is why I thought it was funny. I'm like, no, I will not walk because... <laughs> There is, there is a point where it can be saved, right? Like when people are like, it's like leaving the the Jets game when it's like three one in the first period. You're like, there's still time, okay? And that's two hundred and ten dollar <laughs> ticket. So what the fuck? But when it comes to just entirety, like what the fuck was Freddie got fingered for me? I just, I couldn't understand who in their right mind would give like, and I know he was Tom green is he in this scenario. If you don't know what Freddie got fingered is, if you don't welcome to outside of your rock. Um, It's, it's like, it's just one of those things where like you convince the right person at the right time to give you a lot of money in Hollywood. And they're like, okay. And everybody who was in charge that day, like was out sick or on another set. And somehow he got a ton of money to make a movie about like, it's nothing. It's there's nothing to it convinced he got a lot of money and that's exactly <laughs> how i think that movie got made <laughs> you got he got like the bear the the jet the the, the green lit minimum <laughs> and i would also love to be one of the people who had never heard of freddie got King. if you are in that world stay there <laughs> <laughs> it's better for you um <laughs> but yeah like it just i mean it does it's I don't even remember its plot. I just remember the daddy wants some sausage and was like, I will try very hard to like, for example, room two thirty seven is a documentary about the shining. Have you ever heard about it? Oh, I've watched it. You watched it. Okay. So you know how far that they try to stretch the plot of the shining to like, it's about the, the wasting away of the American native native American people. And I'm like, where, on the cans in the pantry. Okay, great. But I, I mean, <laughs> you're you're offering me such like, come on, really, guys, really, like, because a can was turned one way, it meant this, and a can was turned the other way. I'm like, that's just you're just making shit up. You're just playing jazz here. <laughs> but like, when you're trying to stretch a scene, right? And there's like maybe a little, a little artistic juju there, right? And you're like, okay. <laughs> I can kind of see where you're going with this. You, you execution was bad, but overall this three and a half out of five. But with that sausage scene, what the fuck does it have to do with anything except him thinking it's weird and I'm going to do my TV show in a movie and they won't see me coming. Like it, to this, it still aggravates me. Clearly I have a soft spot for, the hour and 42 minutes that I was forced to sit through that debacle and everybody who like, we're all roughly the same age, like Tom green, Tom green was a shit. And I was like, mm. he brought a fucking skunk 
onto his TV show. He thought that was funny. That I mean, that's funny to a nine-year-old. That's funny to someone who thinks pubes is funny. That, that's kind of, I, I was going to say I had never watched Freddy Got Fingered because I went into it expecting that. <laughs> and for some reason, I didn't expect it from vacation. And that was my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I didn't, I, my mom wouldn't let me watch, like, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch, like, any any racy cartoon or show I was I was definitely screened from seeing and I feel that that has a lot to do with why I don't get a lot of jokes but like it, it, it just I didn't see the TV show is my point so I went into the movie going oh everyone says Tom Green's great but I had no idea I saw like I should have watched a couple episodes of the Tom Green show and then been like this is not my bag baby but you live. You, signed up for. <laughs> you live and you learn. You mentioned mother though, and I did. Uh, that I'm very. It's Darian Arnofsky. Darian Arnofsky, if I'm not mistaken, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, and that was when Jennifer Lawrence and him were dating, if my gossip is correct. Sure. Um, and he, <laughs> well, she, she was, she was very vocal about how hard it is to date an artist like Arnofsky because he, with an E. With, oh, sorry, with an E. Um, <laughs> <laughs> artists <laughs> no 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 self-respecting human says it anymore mr arnofsky um but what was like what what what's it about that made you go this was one of those moments. it's it really doesn't even know no i well my problem is i will literally see every movie. um i feel your pain no i get it i'll, I'll give anything a chance i'm a so whore for a I good went time to see it. I was like, hey, great actors. This, this, what could possibly go wrong aside from it being extremely boring until it wasn't, but the second it wasn't, it made no sense. And the second you made sense of it, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> so, like, overall, like, I mean, it's it, 2017, I believe it's like three years old at this point. What's the, what's the main, like, what's, there, that's in a category I've noticed it ends up on a lot of lists of like movies that'll make your stomach turn or like the top 10 movies that are really hard to watch. What's so hard to watch about that movie besides the there's fact a, that it's bad? Well, there's a point at which it becomes very frenetic um, and very chaotic. And then it just becomes a bit as though I assume it was supposed to be like a nightmare scape. So things are a little surreal and a little ridiculous and then there's violence wrapped in that, but it's all just like an allegory about how we're ruining Mother Earth, and it's not interesting enough to like pull itself off. <laughs> so what what were the cans facing in this movie? <laughs> you, if you're telling me Mother Earth is somehow wrapped into that violent thriller that in a teaser alone, I would never assume that's the plot. Like that's crazy. Yes, he's an author, and he's writing his masterwork. He is God, writing the world and humanity. Oh. And she, in the house, is is nature and earth, and then, then they progressively get destroyed. And, oh, what a deep, meaningful message. I think they ate a baby. Okay, like, if you make something like that, you need to issue a compass and a roadmap and tell people coordinates. You can't. No. Like that's, I mean, I'm, I believe you, but no, that's not what, you know what? I, I watch it over and over again because it puts me to sleep, but The Fountain is one of those movies. 
Did you ever see the fountain? No, but I had heard that. Okay, so Heath, uh, Heath, um, fuck, um, Rachel Weiss and Hugh Jackman, and it takes place over millennia, and it's it, it starts with him as a conquistador from Spain, and on a on some sort of like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade kind of thing where he's looking for a temple and then he finds um um he basically finds the tree of life is is what i think it is this is my rough uneducated uh, overview and in finding the tree of life uh he ends up extending his life so then they go from the conquistador to current time which is his wife izzy is got a brain tumor and he's a doctor trying to cure her which then you find out during current time that a sample from a tree, which is the exact tree that he like he's lived so long that he can't really remember where he's lived, it seems. And then they fast forward to like he's in a bubble floating towards the sun and the tree is protected by him. And he's like this weird alien, like shaved head, Buddha, super space monk guarding the tree. And it shows how even though time has spanned these three different timelines they're all intertwined somehow and he's the same character but not but it's it's exactly mother like it gets into these outright it takes hard lefts and hard rights and starts to make no sense i mean it it's a great movie to fall asleep to and it's really easy to read but it doesn't make sense in the end it's 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 too many pieces that don't jive is where i'm going with it but needless to say it, we don't walk out of movies. <laughs> I I have a I have what is probably not a healthy philosophy in life that you need to earn your indignance. So I've always believed that like if you are going to just be indignant about something and harsh and critical, you have to have done whatever you could to make it all the way through and to really understand what was happening. I saw the Fantastic Four movie twice, the most recent one, because I thought maybe if I saw it the second time with my friends and I knew to expect that it would go bad in the second half, that it wouldn't feel as disappointing. <laughs> but it still did. You're like you're like the golfer who's like, that was my warm-up shot. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well... I spent the entire first half of the movie being like, this isn't as bad as people said. And then it got as bad as people said. So I was like, well, if I don't get my hopes up, yeah, okay, maybe it'll be a better movie. And it wasn't, though. If I leave the rosy colored glasses in the 3D bin, <laughs> maybe I'll see something different. Okay. No, that makes yeah. And you didn't. Nobody did. <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, we're getting a little long in the tooth here on uh, on on walkouts. So let's move into what we talked about earlier. Let's see if we can replicate it, not bore ourselves to shit. <laughs> um, speaking of length, uh, three hour long movies. I know. Like how how this is this is how well I know you. How old are you, Danielle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm old enough. Okay. All right. Are you are you in? I was are you born in the mid 80s okay Let's perfect that. that's fine that's totally fine no i i, I how dare i but it's remain mysterious for no reason at all <laughs> <No>. <laughs> there's the reason for mystery is to be mysterious there it is um but when we were kids hour and a half was your standard time right pretty much across the board 
90 minutes. 90 minutes, exactly. Uh, without trailers, which that's a whole different story. Trailers and advertisements, <laughs> I don't even want to go down that road. Um, then all of a sudden these little spikes started happening with two hours and then two and a half hours, and then now we're into three, three and a half, director's cuts, all these special titles. Same shit, just repackaged, whatever. Uh, we love it. I love it. I'll I'll sit down for it. But do, does does three hours on the duration scare you? Does it entice you? Is it specific to the movie, the genre, the actors? What what makes you, without knowing much, walk into a three hour movie and go, okay, how's this going to be? I it it more affects my rewatches because again I'll walk into anything once, <laughs> but. I, I find I could watch in theaters a three-hour movie twice if it is very fast-paced, if it's like an Avengers endgame, if it's something that I know is going to keep my attention and give me something new to look at. So If you give me a drama where I caught it all the first time huh. and I'm bored the first time, <laughs> then I'm not going to want to go back. <laughs> No, I, and as we previously said, I I definitely agree with you that I think three hour movies are, are great, but I think the, the bar has been raised where you need lots of action points. You need lots of, lots of bullets, lots literally and and, and figuratively (laughs) to keep us entertained because asking, watching a three hour movie at home is no big deal because you have the access to like, I'll come back to this or meh, whatever. I didn't pay for it. I'm paying to watch it whenever I want, whatever reason. But a three-hour movie in the theater, that's like, I'm glad I didn't watch The Irishman in the theater because oh. I would have I would have probably fucking, we would be here talking about me walking out because it took so long to get into the the meat and potatoes of it that I, I got laundry done, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess, I guess for me, if I see a three-hour movie, I immediately jump to, okay, if it's a drama like you, no, nah, I'll wait until I'm home in the comfort. I can, or my, my ass fall asleep. If it falls asleep, I don't mind it snoring. Joke. That's a dad joke. Um, <laughs> but, so, yeah, like, but, but to not bash it completely, what's, a, what's one of your favorite long movies? Well, I, I mean, Endgame is definitely up there. Um, I think a lot, there's a lot to be said for movies with multiple characters in general, um, because you just need more time to track them. Um, but I also think, especially given that I was born in the mid '80s, that Titanic played a huge role on on my young adulthood <laughs> when it came to long movies. <laughs> Yeah, no, that I think that was the first like commercially long movie that we all went to as kids. I definitely yeah. repeatedly. Repeatedly. And that's not even it's not it I mean, the director's cut or is it three hours in the theater? I think it was like two and change, like two fifty six or something, right? Like or was it three on the nose? Either way, you're in there for three hours. It was we're fucking yeah. semantics at this point, but um, yeah, that taught. Yeah, like I saw that movie. I think almost. I think I. I know I saw it six times in the theater. That's eighteen hours of my life dedicated to. Mm-hmm. I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. Skinny handprint. <laughs> I mean, but it is. It is a story, and it 
and and you mentioned earlier, which was a great point, the first half is the romance to set up for the heartbreak and the drama in the second half. So editing as 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 one edits a movie properly, which I don't know how to do, so I won't speak of, but it just seemed that that one knew knew where to create some angst and you've got you even have action between Jack and Rose during their romance right you've got strife you've got you know it's a little bit of an up and down so there's enough non-essential action not so much like a big fight scene but there's enough action to to satisfy you definitely peaks and valleys yeah and then one big peak at the end and then it just stops (laughs) whatever it's a fucking hundred year old story it's not too soon (laughs) wait you tell me the Titanic is spoiled. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I, you, we, we've got the Green Mile on here, and I read the book. We talked about this before. The book came out in installments over like a couple months. They gave you like mm-hmm. three or four chapters. So when the Green Mile turned into a three-hour-long movie, I was like, no, like I, I know what these books look like, and they're. They're like little paperbacks. They're not like they're grade six reading level. Even they're not, like, you know, they're like Paul Coffey was in the Smart Man. Like that's how easy these books are to read. And I'm just like, it's a great movie, but there's so like it doesn't need to be three hours long. We don't like the my, the mouse is prevalent in the book, but it's not part of like I mean, it's part of the jailhouse. It's part of him when he gets older. Like. It, they just fo- they, there's just too much time dedicated to that story. It's it's not a note that is really required to advance the characters, advance the plot, make you understand anything. It's just hey, he just happens to be this old. The mouse got shocked. He's hanging around for the ride. So great Most movie, Mr. Jingle. <laughs> Percy Whitmore, what a little piece of shit. Uh, but yeah, like it just I. At, at the end of it all, I mean, that that's and Lord of the Rings, right? Like Lord of the Rings, the director's cut, like it's it's mind blowing how many times it's it, I, I'll make the joke again. And it's totally inspired by Kevin Smith. It's like being jerked off and then someone just gets up and walks away from you. <laughs> like right before, right before you're about to. They're like, nope, sorry. One more ending. And you're like, come on. How many times do Frodo and Bilbo need to fucking argue over how this is all going to play out? Like, you know, so that kind of stretching. And you made a really interesting point about taking one movie and turning it into two. Yeah, there have definitely been instances specifically revolving around the young adult movie to or novel to movie genre in which I would much rather have just had a three-hour movie than had two one and a half hour movies. Yeah. A year apart. Yeah. And and it's it's not even it's not even like subtle. It's ju- and it's like it, it's almost like like it's so badly edited sometimes that it's like they made the three hour movie, they just decided to drop a knife and it landed right there and they cut the tape. Exactly. And which is actually what they did with Endgame anyway, which would have then made it a five hour <laughs> Which, like, I think, I, I, who, I can't remember who it was that re-edited something. There was a story. They took, they took a movie that that re-edited looks way better, and they did it in their own time. I, I, I fuck, 
whatever. It's it's one of those stories where they they did attempt to do that. And speaking of one of I actually know um the Quentin Tarantino recut of the Hateful Eight is four episodes of movie. Coming that to makes it. sense. Yeah, because it's it's like a serialized western. It's exactly a serialized western, one hundred percent. And I. I mean, you can't do that in a movie theater, obviously. You can't make, like, <laughs> come back three more times. <laughs> but, like, it really does play well. And that's what I like about him with his. Like, he knows length really well. He will keep you in the theater for close to three hours. But he will create such tension and such angst that you just need to see it through to see if the character comes out without any bullets in their chest. I will say The Hateful Eight is not one of the ones that I would have gone to see again if my friends had asked. Really? It was just, it was long enough and it was slow enough that I wouldn't think that it could keep my attention for a second three hours. Yeah, I, I, it's a background movie for me now. Like, it is one of those, like, one and dones for sure. I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I think it's time to disagree, though. If I, (laughs) I have tried to make it so that at least a little (laughs) argument, a little back and forth happens on here as opposed to just sitting around and stroking each other's egos on what we love about movies. So, uh, we decide, well, I decided you, you decided to play along with me so elegantly what with, I wanted to figure out if a role an actor didn't get looking through the lens of their resume do you think that they could play it now knowing what you know? So, for example, um, the first one we, we got into earlier, which, which you know, no, we'll save that one. Let's, let's, not, let's not go, let's, let's not take it to a six, a 10. Let's, let's stay to six here, I think. Um, and, and as I was going over the list, I'm realizing we hadn't started recording. I noticed one that I didn't catch before. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Anne Hathaway was supposed to play Jennifer Lawrence. Yes. That's that's correct. Okay, so we don't know what she got instead, which is really besides the point. But um, you go I first. I think it was Lay Miz, actually. Was it okay? Well, <laughs> well, you can go off and get nominated for Academy Award, are you? <laughs> okay, that makes that makes sense. Um, but even that said, what's the one she did where she played the sister that was really fucked up? Do you remember that one? She comes out of a mental hospital. She comes home. Her sister's getting married. Rachel getting married. There it is. Yeah. That is her only bad girl role to me. And I don't count Catwoman. Catwoman, (laughs) no, no, that was so bad. But I I see Anne Hathaway. I see Princess Diaries. I see um, uh, Devil Wears Prada. Prada, Thank you. I was like, some inhuman species wears a designer label. Who is it now? (laughs) Um, and I just like, there's, there's not enough. And like the, 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 the mental health aspect of silver linings playbook with both characters, I just, she doesn't really do it for me in a believable sense. What are your thoughts? I think she would have read as more age appropriate, which having not actually looked up her age, I may just be very rude and she might be the exact same age as jennifer <laughs> no I, I she's she's older i know she's because okay. she's, she's been around since we were in our teens right like like when you think about the princess diaries and her early start she's that was my yeah no no that, that's she's not gonna listen um are you sure I, 
I no. have a lot riding this. She she edits the whole show. Sorry. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Okay, so age appropriate. That's interesting that it has nothing to do with her skills, but yeah, like I I can take Jennifer Lawrence somewhat seriously. Like I she is a she's a, she's a she's a really good actor, but she's not a great actor in my opinion. And I guess I like now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, it is an age appropriate. Like Bradley Cooper is like easily 10 to 15 years older than her. <laughs> and I mean, that, that did have an interesting dynamic if that was something you were paying attention to, but it was also not anything that was ever drawn attention to. Like in all the concerns that everyone had about the relationship, nobody was like, dude, you're twice her age. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, like Anne Hathaway is classy. Anne Hathaway is Damey to me. Like Dame Anne Hathaway would be would be something I'd be okay saying. And she she just doesn't she just doesn't crack me in a way that I would find her believable going through a situation. Although she did great in Rachel getting married, but it was more of a beaten puppy than a slightly damaged individual. Yeah, I, I suppose I don't think I ever saw Hunter's bones. I don't know really. Like in my head, Jennifer Lawrence was that same person too up until that movie. Well, Winter's Bone. I mean, that's that was her launching pad, if I'm not mistaken, right? I believe so. Yeah, and it is a great story. It, but and yes, it's it just seems like it's one of those things where she's a little like she was. She's she's uh, ahead of her time, but now the time's caught up. It kind of like Winter's Bone. She was like what sixteen. 15, 16 in it, I think, something like that. And Nail's a great performance. But, uh, all right, well, so are we on the same page? Because we were supposed to disagree. <laughs> well, it depends. I, I think and could probably do it. I think it would be very fun to see. But I also do agree it's not something we've seen her do yet. Okay, all right. So, okay, good. All right, a little tension, nothing crazy. Well, that will do. Um <laughs> What else do I, I got to lean in here? I gotta, my eyes are getting old. Um, the the Titanic. This one's pretty interesting. Um, this is a three-parter, actually. So we had uh, Claire Danes for uh, Kate Winslet. Also, actually, Claire Danes and Gwyneth Paltrow were up for Rose in uh, in Titanic. Reba McIntyre was supposed to play. What's what's her character's name? I can never. Molly Brown. Molly Brown. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> the man, the man eater. And uh, Matthew McConaughey as Leonardo, Di- as Leonardo DiCario's. <laughs> Fuck me. This is what happens when you don't record the first episode. Um, <laughs> as Leonardo DiCaprio's Jack. Uh, let's start with McConaughey, first of all. You go. <laughs> I can't, I can't picture a young McConaughey. I just, it just, he's always been 40 years old and driving a Lincoln. <laughs> and like that, if, if he had to bury that Texas accent, it would just, it like, it's like when Chris Hemsworth tries to talk in a Boston accent in the heart of the sea. <laughs> and, and I'm like, man, your, your Aussie is showing all over the place, mate. And it, I'm, you know, just don't stay, not stay in your lane. Just, just null your role and shut your mouth, you damn jabroni. But maybe instead of being really excited to go back to New York, he was really excited to go back to Dallas. 
<laughs> he started a buyer's club out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, like he just that I feel the bravado that comes from him would not like you, you, there's there's a lot there that we've seen now. Right. With everything that he's done. So for him to be a timid, poor uh, shack rat, so to speak, um, just doesn't just doesn't do it for me I, I can't I can't I, I'm not all right all right all right I could see Christian Bale doing it because of Newsies I don't know if you ever saw Newsies yes I did and you know what Newsies and uh what was the one his his child acting days child children of the child of the sun something of the sun oh I don't write it down I don't remember but you're right he's got he's got that face I think that's I think it is I think it's that very boyish look that DiCaprio has that even if you were asking somebody to act out boyish, it just wouldn't come off as as well. Not from McConaughey. Not from McConaughey. Uh, I do think Reba could have played off of uh, played Kathy Bates's character in a heartbeat. I do too. I would never want to take a role from Kathy Bates. No, ever. No. She'll she'll uh, she'll knock your heels against a piece of wood. Exactly. <laughs> she'll misery you. But yes. Southerner? Yeah. He's got it's Reba. Totally. That would have been great. Do you know why it's Reba? Because it reminds me of Reba from Tremors. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. Like gun toting. Yeah, you know, pumping like just like feisty, you know, and and like Southern, a little bit of Southern Belle on her, right? Like Kathy Bates has to dip into that where Reba would just like I'm this all the time, girl, you know. And but yeah, I don't even I don't even get up for argument. Uh. Claire Danes or Gwyneth Paltrow instead of Kate Winslet as Rose. Where do you sit on these two lovely ladies? I mean, I think I could see Claire doing it because we've watched her and him in Romeo and Juliet or Romeo plus Juliet uh, for Leo and Claire. I, I don't. It could be my own personal bias. I wouldn't want one of them to be in Titanic. No, and and I I agree with you on Gwyneth, but I disagree with you on Danes. Actually, yes, I definitely disagree with you on Danes. <laughs> Danes, because I mean, yes, she played Juliet, so there is there is that Shakespearean charm there that you might be able to pull. Like if you've done a if you've done a drama, a William Shakespeare drama, right? Then you know you understand drama. Um, but I just don't see her as the hoity-toity bitch that Rose is at first. I see her being, you know, don't ever let go, Jack. But I don't see her walking around with her nose so high that it's get you know it's clipping on the whatever's on the top of a ship at the time. <laughs> Mast, the horse? Mast, oh, I guess you. they were funnels on the Titanic. Yeah, but. some smokestack. I don't know. But um, I think Peltro, I mean, she's, I think she could do it. I don't think it would be great, but I think she could definitely pull off the, the. she did it in Shakespeare in Love. So that's where I'm kind of basing my assumption on of her being able to carry that regal regality to the role. Then play the flip side where she gives it all up and dances a jig on the table in the middle of oh fuck you all right okay (laughs) no she couldn't no no because because all i see is like sad gwyneth from seven you know or or like pepper pots you know like basic bitch mom whatever you want to call like i yeah okay she's not fun to jig and drink with underneath 
you know, down in the depths of the Titanic. Good point. Very good point. Okay. Um, the last one of these that we're going to do is obviously the one I've been saving because we had so much fun with it earlier. Um, Al Pacino as as Han Solo instead of Harrison Ford. Nope. No? No? Why? Just tell me why. Godfather, and put him next to Chewie. Yeah. <laughs> What's that, Chewie? <laughs> it makes no. It just it no, and no. <laughs> no, I agree. I don't even think we have to beat this one to death. Um, <laughs> I I know I'd said earlier that you, like how how would how would uh, you know the character from Scent of a Woman play with Leia, right? Like. All blind jokes aside, because that's not funny, but like, (laughs) it's kind of funny. But like, it really watching him tango around the Millennium Falcon. Like, there's, there's, there's no real badass there that Han Solo kind of plays. And I don't know what it is. I mean, the guy was a carpenter before he was an actor, so like, whatever he's got that that Harrison Fordness just. I really, it, it's not obviously Al Pacino, but I don't think it's anybody else either. Um, no, I, there's no one I can pick off the top of my head who would, who would even really come close. No, and it's it's the smugness. Like it, it, is, it is almost interesting that an actor's really first big role I mean, anybody who does their thing, like they're not their best at their first, obviously, but they're they're really good to do it. But they're probably pulling more from their real life than they are from any experience they have as an actor. So I really feel that Harrison Ford off camera would still shoot first as Harrison Ford or Han Solo. I agree. And I think that really showed in Mark Hamill as well, just being just little naive guy running around whether it's a movie set or Tatooine it's just who he was yeah right like it was one of it's a, it's a perfect happy mistake of the right characters played by the right actors with the right personalities as opposed to um, Michael Corleone <laughs> uh, well um, this kind of brings us to like the, the, the close out here um, and this is th- this th- really in all true honesty, the whole purpose of this, and I've mentioned it to you guys and I'll keep mentioning it because this is new for us was that everybody's at home right now. So anybody can talk about recommending a movie that they think people should see or something that they've watched because we're all Leonard Malton or Leonard, ne- Leonard Malton, Leonard Malton. Yes. Not Leonard Nimoy. We're not Spock. Yeah. Um, and we're all like a Siskel and Ebert. So, um, what have you watched that you want to close out and let everybody know, hey, check this out. It's a really good fucking movie. Watch it. Uh, I'm going to say Booksmart, which is... Oh! Uh, uh, Jonah Hill's sister, right? Yes. Or cousin. Something. something. Of the Hill family. Of the Hill family. Of the Hills. <laughs> um, I made the mistake of missing it for like the one week it was in theaters in Winnipeg because that's what we do with less popular films. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. And I you're ended so right. up seeing... I ended up seeing the one that almost looked the same, but was about little kids that I think Seth Rogen had a part in. 
Okay. Um, in producing, but it, it was skewed just oh, kind of like... Oh, the one with... Oh, okay, yeah, the bad kids. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's practically called that. Like, it's... <laughs> it might even be, like, good boys or something. Yes. But um, I, I give my money to that movie, and that movie didn't deserve it as much as Booksmart did. <laughs> Booksmart What's... is just a much... It's, if, if that little kid movie was supposed to be super bad for little kids... Booksmart is super bad for high school girls, but oh. like, still is funny, not as stupid. So, coming of age tale, would that be yeah. okay? Um, what all centering around a big party, just straight through, directed by Olivia Wilde. Really? Um, yep. Wow. Sorry, you still there? We lose you. Oh yes. Okay, there we yeah. go. <laughs> Moment of silence. Moment of silence for Olivia Wilde. Um, so like give a quick like synopsis don't ruin it because uh, that's the, the whole purpose is to draw them in <laughs> well again it's just it's these two girls who spent their entire high school careers just trying to be smart and keeping their nose to the grindstone and they're, they don't mind being the outsiders because they know that it'll all pay off in the end and they realize within the first five minutes of the movie that all of the popular kids also got into Ivy League schools So they've wasted their entire high school career and really just have one night to try and live it up before they have to go off to college. Wow. So that, you know what, that's, I'm sure that wasn't me. I don't know any, that's not my, my, my life on film, but I'm sure that that's, that happens all the fucking time. Like I've watched those, those kids with their nose, in the book the entire three years where they're supposed to be acting like assholes kind of you know and like learning who you are and then you find out that it was all for nothing well wow, that's an interesting story yeah it's it's a lot of fun and there's actually some really some really well done scenes there's one really good long take which is a lot of fun to watch because it took me a second to realize that they hadn't cut away <laughs> that's and that's a good long like, take oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> wait a minute have we changed scenes at all? <laughs> well, it's actually just a giant dialogue piece, but you're so used to the shot reverse shot that like you don't even think about it until you realize no, it's just been panning back and forth that's, in the midst of That's good uh, acting, that's good directing, yeah. that's good that that's all of the good things happening at the same time. Yeah. So definitely so it was definitely well watch done, my books, yes. Um, where Book can smart. you, is it something you buy on iTunes? Is it, is it's it on, on Amazon prime? It's on Amazon prime. Even better. Fuck. You yeah. know what? Amazon prime <laughs> is winning my race right now for streaming. But services. if you want to pay for it, pay for it. <laughs> Wait, hey, listen, it, we've all, there's no, there's no way we should all try to convince anybody listening here that we've never downloaded a movie, but we all know better <laughs> now to buy the content. The people who well, they're just, there are certain ones where I'm like, I know you didn't get the money you deserved at the box yeah, office. Totally. There are so many movies that do, and I'm certain this one didn't. I'm not advocating for it, but yeah, there are the ones where you're like, okay, a certain giant conglomerate that has parks in L.A. and Florida, you have enough money. <laughs> okay? You can let somebody who can't access this movie download it and rip it and not make a big fucking deal about it. But Booksmart, they deserve to be purchased. All right. Well, we are at the end. (laughs) 
And with that being said, uh, this, this, this recorded, we recorded this. (laughs) I love doing the same job twice. (laughs) Uh, Danielle, uh, I'm, I'm, this was so much fun. I was looking forward to this and this is exactly the amount of fun that I wanted to have today. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Um, please regale me with what you were saying about your Scientology story, because what better place to start than there? So it it was circa 99. uh, It might have been early 2000. Um, I can't remember the exact date, but um, I was working at Earl's Maine in the kitchen there. And uh, there was this this guy that we hired, a French-Canadian guy from Montreal, and uh, he worked in the dish pit. Nice guy. And... uh, he ended up being um, like a, like a Scientologist, right? And it wasn't just like a Scientologist who was like an actual like uh, like a minister or part of the church, and and you know the the washing dishes at Earl's was just like a side gig to help him pay his rent, kind of thing. Okay. So you know he was always like, oh, you should come check out the church, and blah 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 blah. And I was I was just like super crazy fascinated by it, you know, because I you know had a you know weird man crush on Tom Cruise always. And, <laughs> You know, all that yeah. kind of stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, this is still early days of the internet, but they obviously had a website where you could actually go on and they had like a questionnaire that you would fill out and then, and then they would invite you down. And can I, and, can uh, I ask what, like, what, like an example question? I can't remember. It was, it was kind of like that, you know, that typical kind of psychological analysis. Like if you've ever done a Myers-Briggs I was just going to say, is it the Myers-Briggs? Yeah. Okay. I know. Exactly. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 very similar kind of questions that are kind of slanted that way. And, you know, the basis of Dianetics is basically under, underpinned with, you know, psychology and, you know, pseudo-psychiatry and, you know, those kind of things. But, yeah, it's a, um, a cocktail of many ideas and yeah, ways of thinking. It, 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 Exactly right. So you go there and you check it out, and they get take you in this room, and they have you watch the Scientology video, and you know, John Travolta's in it, and Kirsty Alley, Alley, and and the whole time you're watching the video, you're like, oh, I hope there's not subliminal messaging, and I'm not going to come out of your brainwashed, and you know, really be into you know L L Ron Hubbard and blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> yeah. And, like how far do I have it, to go before I can get the fuck out? And it's funny, like each of these Scientology churches, they they have a they have they have L Ron Hubbard's office. They have an office, and it's got like a desk and a bunch of books, and it's, it's got like a little name plaque that says L. Ron Hubbard. So every single one of these churches around the world, regardless of where they are, has an office for L. Ron Hubbard, even though the dude's been dead for, I don't know, like 40 years or something. And, <laughs> That's ridiculous. you know, so that, well, it's, 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 it's kind of like it's, it's putting him up on a pedestal and kind of you yeah, know, creating yeah, a baby yeah, out of him. Yeah. Anyway, so they went through the analysis and stuff, and from a psychological perspective and like a personality perspective, it was actually pretty spot on. And then they talked about places where, you know, I had deficits and then they tried to sell me the Dianetics books. And, and I guess for about three years after that, they would call me periodically and try to get me to come down to these like get together totally. and things like that. Come drink the Kool-Aid. I just, yeah, totally. And I was finally, I was like, listen, like I'm an atheist. Like I'm just not interested in this and you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, as much as your Dianetics is cool and blah, 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 I'm not interested. And they finally stopped calling. But that's my Scientology story. That, so how, like, I just want to know, like, did you, did it get creepier as like you got closer before they, they dropped the sales pitch? Like, was there, was there any moment where you were like, this is not even close to what anybody has ever said about it? Like, 
No, I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think people hear the word church and they just think of kind of that, um, yeah, you know, that medieval church. cathedral, <laughs> and they think of you know, you know, rapey priests and altar boys and confession yes. yeah. and and you know, pay your tithe and you know, you know, you know, pay your way into heaven and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I really and you know, all the good, good and all and all the good, you know, and all the good stuff that the church does, you know, all the you know, yes. volunteer stuff and charity Community, stuff and all that kind uh, of shit. Yeah. But it's definitely, it's a church, and I'm doing air quotes right now, even though you can't see me. <laughs> but, you know, I feel that it's, I don't know, it, it kind of had like a scientific kind of feel to it, hence the Scientology kind of term. Yeah. And it was, seemed a little bit more clean cut and, and for the modern era and that kind of thing. And I think they've really positioned themselves well to kind of cater to that. But I mean, it's a fucking cult, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, lipstick on a pig is still a pig. And I remember one thing in the video, they kept talking about how it was a legitimate religion and how this country had, had found it was a, a legitimate religion. This Supreme Court had determined it was a legitimate religion. Like, that was a big part of, like, the video you watched. Anyway, I just thought it was... <laughs> well, you, we need to get to you before you go home and Google. <laughs> right? Exactly. Totally. Well, Google didn't... Google <clears throat> was barely a thing back then, though. Like, 99, it was just kind of coming out, right? Yeah, that's true. So there was... Yeah, and, like, yeah, you know, AOL and, you know... People are like this W. Well, ninety. Yeah. I think Google. Google was like ninety-seven, right? But like, I remember, like, I remember being in my grade twelve multimedia class, and guys being like, "Oh, there's this new thing, Google." And I was like, "Dude, we use Yahoo to search, man. Like, what's this Google <laughs> shit?" Yeah. Right. How dare you? you? Know, and then how dare you? And then a couple years later, Google's everything, right? So it's always weird how that happens. So weird. Um, that's a great story. I didn't know you did that. I wouldn't have the balls to do that, but that, like, I, I would get, I would, I, and I'd be, like, I'd be ballsy until I got there, and then I would be afraid that I would either say the wrong thing or, like, totally fall in. Like, I, it would either be like take my money or like, like get into some sort of shit. <laughs> so, I, and I, I mean, I truly, justifiably don't believe in 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 Thetan. I think that's what it is. They're Thetans. And then yeah, the Thetans, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what, whatever I saw in the Master, Paul Thomas Anderson showed me enough of of Scientology. That's a, that's a, that's a great movie. By it the is way. a great movie, and he's a here's here's my subtle switch. He's a great fucking director, which yeah, um, segues into the whole conversation that we've I've been wanting. We we had to put this off three times, um, but I coming up with this idea for this episode. Um, these are ideas that I've just been like sketching out and being like, it's not that they're anywhere original. I'm not pretending that these are like, nobody's ever done this before, but uh, we've never done it before. And so I was like, well, let, let's, let's do what we do best and, and geek out over one of our favorite directors. So this is, this is a, this whole portion of, of Rob and I is dedicated to our first centerfold of directors, which I know is really fucking cheesy, but uh, so am I. Uh, we are paying homage to Mr. David Fincher today. There'll be there'll be no nudity though in our conversation. There will be no nudity. Well, I, I'm I can't say I'm not nude, but I definitely can say I'm definitely clothed. So take that. Well, you told you 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 advise that this was a no pants podcast, right? <laughs> it's like every Zoom meeting, somebody's not wearing pants. <laughs> There was a, there was a reporter that got caught wearing a yeah. pair of shorts, so you could see his, like a little bit of his leg and stuff like that. <laughs> so I yeah I did I did catch that news bite flying by. I was like okay this is, and this is what's so great about like just take a moment on this. This is what's so great about 
technology being thrust upon people and having really no say in the matter and then having to just adapt or not die, but adapt or, or get caught taking a shit on Zoom. Did you see yeah. that? Well, I mean, I've, I've worked from home for so many years. Yeah. And, you know, okay. the, the conference call is such a common thing. And you always, like, at least once a year or once a quarter, there's somebody on a conference call that forgets to mute their phone with, and then you hear the toilet flush. <laughs> so whenever I'm on a conference call and I and I got to use the bathroom, I'm, I, I must look at my phone like six times during the whole process of being in the bathroom to make sure my phone's muted. <laughs> I'm so paranoid about that. No, I told anyway, that's <laughs> that's water cooler talk for you um, yeah. so anyways yeah so um i i am i mean I, we should just say i mean like uh, this wasn't a hard pick for either of us because no. i've i have been i mean we're both gonna say we've been fans since forever but i think it's really true and and i kind of wanted to go over just some of his bullet points here um first just so that if people don't know who he is, right? Because I don't expect everybody mm-hmm. to know everything. Um, but uh, so, Mr. David Fincher. How, how dare they not know who David Fincher is, <laughs> director of our time. This, anyway, go on. Our Stanley Kubrick is was where I would say we can go with that, and we'll get there. But So David Andrew Leo Fincher, born August 28, 1962, uh, so age 57, which he looks fucking great for 57 if I – he doesn't he, he looks like a 37 he's, he's, 57 year old he's got to have a blood boy that's the only <laughs> he's mad max in that shit right <laughs> yeah exactly uh born in denver colorado uh been working since 1980 and uh has one kid i where where do you where do we start with this i think the best place to start if I'm if I'm just gonna say it out loud, is to look back at our list here. But I guess what attracts you, Rob Strachan, to David Fincher? What attracted you to him? We'll start there. I mean, th- there's something about his movies. They they always have a filter and they have a look and a feel and a presence about them. And um, you know, whether it's the 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 angles of the shot or the cinematography or it's almost got a film noir esqueness to everything, and you know, it's to me, it's reminiscent of Blade Runner sometimes. Yeah, and you know, and and if you've ever seen any old film noir movies from like the 1940s and stuff, it there there's just some kind of appeal that he kind of transcends onto 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 his movies, and I don't I don't know, I just there's just something sleek about it. There's just there's a feel that I like right from the onset of the opening. Uh, it's and it's it's very obvious i think i i really didn't develop and i think a lot of people really don't develop their film chops until you develop a really good understanding of your personality and then you understand what you like as you get older and Mm -hmm. so i mean i knew i'd seen david fincher movies before but i didn't know why for many many years later why i was attracted to them and i think it's funny because it's fucking true but Steve Taylor from the show, uh, he he was the first person to tell me about how Netflix's algorithm works. And it was when I was like, why do I like House of Cards so much? Why? Why? And I, I mean, that's not that long ago, but it's 
when I realized, I'm like, why do I like this? What What is it about it? And then I found out that he was heavily involved and directed a lot of the episodes of the first season. And I was like, okay, yeah. I want to find out why I like that. And, and you know, it, it's been said before, and I'll recycle it here. It's his use of muted colors. And I'm like, what are muted mm. colors? And I guess the best way to explain it is a muted color commonly is a description of a color, whether of light or pigment as seen in low intensity or illumination. So you say film noir and it's that dark accent of things in a scene that like he makes, he makes really dirty scenes very clean with his style of filming. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah. You know, like, like I've got, I've, I've got seven on in the background right now just for inspiration to, to, to kick into this. And like, I'm looking at Brad Pitt's shirt right now and it's it, it, it's it's in a movie, so you assume it should be perfect. But he captures what it looks he captures what it looks like in real life, but puts it on a screen, and it's not perfect, but it's perfect in a perfect way. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for sure, totally. Um, but yeah, like I, go go on. I feel like I feel like Denny Villeneuve uh, really, you know, does a little bit of that as well too, and maybe that could be another conversation for another podcast. But I I. I I just I I just love the look and the feel. I think that's what it is, and it just draws me in. And it's like you said, it accentuates things that normally maybe you wouldn't have noticed before. And I think Seven it just really epitomizes it. You know, especially with those scenes with tons of rain and you know yeah. wet and they're damp and they're just and they and they feel uncomfortable. Yet it's still sterile, kind of. It's it's it's, it's a strange thing, especially in that movie where they're going into the different crime scenes and discovering things that are just borderline horrific. Well, not borderline, but completely horrific a lot of the time. Yet there's still, yeah, like that coming essence about it or something. It, I really think because there was that, that moment, you'd probably know it better just from working in audio video your entire life. Um, were like knowing when film went to digital was a big transition for filmmakers. He gravitated towards it. So yes. what I think we're seeing is, and he's, this is, people have said this, he's the Kubrick of digital, right? What Kubrick was to film, he is to digital. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of, like it, it, I didn't really know how many fucking music videos he directed. Did you take a look it's at some a of that lot. shit? It's ridiculous. Yeah, like when you're, when, when you're scanning through his filmography on, yeah. uh, on IMDB, like Aerosmith and, you know, there's a sting video and stones and, Madonna and it's a George Michael video. I didn't even know that he was one of the premier music video directors of the nineties and early two thousands easily. And I went and took a look at some of them and I'm like, I can't see any of your current work in any of this. Like it's, it's like two different filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it's two different mediums though. Really? It very much is. And, I mean, digital obviously is easier to manipulate in post, right? <laughs> There's no mm-hmm. real spicing. Yeah, for sure. And Absolutely. So it's it's like it's like with the the Sound City documentary, the Dave Grohl one about the the death of tape recording going to digital and that transition, mm-hmm. and you know that what what there is to be said about the balls of filmmakers who are using physical film, and you know you need more money to buy more film if you're not doing it right, and that can get expensive. Um, mm-hmm taking on digital and then going above and beyond what people expected of digital, I think is what makes him so fucking popular. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think if you look at um, what was the first movie that he did was in digital. Was it was it was it Fight Club or was it uh, Panic Room? Uh, I th- well, I want to say Fight Club is a little too early because that would have been ninety nine, right, or ninety seven. Mm, so yeah, or, yep. I think it's ninety nine. I didn't hang on here. We can. Yeah, it's ninety nine. Yeah, it's yeah. ninety nine. So it's on. It's on the cusp of it. Um, I know with with Alien Three, that was kind of where he, that's where he cut his teeth in in Hollywood. That I think that was his like his first his first notable ad was when he was twenty two. Um, hang on, I got yeah. this here. I don't want to fuck this up. He was twenty two, and and I, did you take a look at the ad? Did you have you seen it before? And not know it was him, or did you have to look at it after I, you saw this? I, 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 I'd seen, I've, I remember seeing that ad from years ago, but yeah. I had no idea that. I mean, how would you know that that was him, right? It's just like when I was looking at his bio, and he had like worked at ILM, like you know, right? Just those, you know. But you can see how these different experiences, and you know, culminated in you know the the the, the work that he did. I mean, I like Fincher so much. I I like Alien Three, and that's not a great movie. Yeah, well, I'm like I came I came late to Alien, and uh, I I I it's my favorite four movies. Well, now it's not a four movie; it's not a quadrilogy anymore, and that's okay. I mean, it's still I still consider the first four the series, right? Everything else after uh, that, is... the, the 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 fourth one isn't that great, though. N- well, no, no, I'm but I mean to give it's 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 actually pretty wretched. But there's a couple notable performances in it, but it's pretty bad all in all. And I you mean, know, to, to to compare it against the stock of like a Ridley Scott and a James Cameron most expensive movie ever made at that time. Yeah, you no. know, with you know, you know, with Bill Paxton, like, you know, like comments that you just like, will you never, will never forget. Like, oh, I don't know. I I totally I, you know, what I'm I'm noticing this because you got James Cameron, Ridley Scott. And then you've got David Fincher, who's it's his it's his fucking it's where he cuts his teeth, and it yeah. feels like that's what happened with Ryan Johnson on the Last Jedi, right? Like he went from indie, indie, indie. We've got David Fincher going from music video, music video, music video. Here's a giant fucking set. Do you know? Did you? I don't know if you you caught this one, but you you you, you consider Looper indie? Even, even well, no, with, I uh... Brick Looper. Um, the Brothers Bloom. I I consider them indie by salary or cost. I don't consider them okay. indie by by true inde- independent nature, right? Because because Looper has three A list actors in it. Well, I mean Bruce Willis was kind of on decline to a B status, but nonetheless, I mean, uh, yeah, he's anyway, still an A B. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. I, he's, he's he's a little bit more street to video lately, but uh, you got to do what you got to do. You got to eat, right? <laughs> Um, does he though? Yeah. Does nah. he like with how much diehards played at Christmas time? Doesn't he get enough from the royalties? Anyway. Right. Every Christmas he's going to the bank, <laughs> riding riding that fucking movie until it's broke. Um, but yeah. So and I it was I think Alien Three was I just think it was too much too fast too soon. If you just read into it, right? Like you've got you've got mm-hmm. a big production house behind you you've got a brand new director Mm -hmm. so then you're gonna get you're gonna get a guy who's trying to prove his self-worth in an industry that Mm -hmm. is all about being demanding and he's a perfectionist by self-admittance with you know Mm -hmm. a ridiculous obsession with takes which we can get into but i love it in its i i love once i found out it was david fincher after i realized how much i love david fincher i think i kind of started 
tracing into all of it and then went into mm-hmm. Alien 3 later in life. So I have a different perspective mm-hmm. of it than a lot of other people. What I mean, mm-hmm. y- what do you like about it so much? Because it is a very controversial I, I film. Mean, I mean, I, I've just always loved the Alien movies. Uh, like, I remember, I remember my dad, you know, letting me watch Alien when I was, you know, probably about seven or eight. You know, and then we watched Alien and, and just being like scared shitless. You know, when like the alien jumps out of John Hurt's chest, and my mom being like, I can't believe you're showing my, my son this. And my dad's like, it's fine, it's fine. And then, you know, by the time, you know, Alien 3 came out, I kind of, you know, had seen Alien so many times, you know, because it was, you know, had been dubbed onto like, you know, a VHS tape and just, you know, watching it over and over again um, after, you know, a free, you know, Super Channel weekend or something. But, um, you know, I just I just like that movie, and I love that whole genre, and I love the whole story of aliens, and and you know, at that time I was about you know I was like you know in junior high and was like you know into Dark Horse comics and you know reading about aliens and Predator and all that kind of stuff. So you know, I, I think I just had a love for that whole storyline and that genre and that universe, and I had no idea that it was David Fincher, but I just I just liked you know the whole alien concept, and I would you know, consume anything that was going to be created on the big screen that related to that. And then you find out like, you, you know why you like it because you like it on the skin, but then you find out what the bones are made of. David Fincher directed it, you know, it, and I just like, you look at, you know, big name director, big name director, nobody. And that's just, that that's kind of a, and I, I you can have to see remember, both a sides, I guess. Projector, he, a, big, a big name director has to start somewhere, right? They do. And yeah. a lot of times, directors aren't aren't actors, right? An actor you might notice right from their first role, right? And know who they are and then follow every single movie afterwards. A director you might not hop into realizing who they are until their second, third, maybe even their fourth movie. Like with Fincher, it wasn't until after after I you know watched Fight Club for the first time and then went and saw it a second time and a third time and a fourth time in the theater that I really realized who he was, traced it back to the fact that he also directed Seven, and I was like, holy shit, and then later realized that he was also behind Alien 3, right? So, yeah. okay. you know, there's there's usually an evolution, you know, or a, a journey that where you're kind of discovering who these people are. I uh, I totally just realized that we were we were talking about his first piece of work, and then we went off this lovely tangent that I, I don't, I don't endorse not happening, but his first work, just to play reference to our earlier conversation, was a smoking fetus hanging in the air, which is very reminiscent of Kubrick's baby hanging in 2001: A Space Odyssey, which you can obviously yeah. tell, like someone's shooting across the bow and saying, "Hey, listen over here," right? Um, yeah. So yeah, just just for reference, if anybody was like, "Hey, those guys were talking about something," and they always forget what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> um, Hang on here. I had something I was really interested to ask you about here. Okay. Um, do you think his defining moment when people started to find out about his name, Fight Club or Seven, what do you think is more prominent in film conversations and what people would say? I, I think it's it's going to depend on the age of the person you speak to, right? Okay, yeah. So, so, you know, I was born in 79. So when Fight Club came out, I was 20. So maybe a little bit at that point, maybe I was a little bit more cognizant of who a director was. Yeah. Um, you know, Seven came out when 95, 90, yeah, 95. Yep. So, you know, very cool movie. You know, I would have been in high school, but I don't think I was like on top of really connecting who David Fincher was at that time. But I mean, Seven is so groundbreaking. I mean, the fact that the movie poster doesn't even have Kevin Spacey's fucking name on it. No, right. neither do the, do the opening credits. 
like to have a have an A-list actor at that time willing to, you know, not even have his name on the front to be able to check his ego because he understood the integrity of that story and, and the magic of that story opening up and how important it was that nobody knew that he was the fucking person until you knew he was the person. Fucking that's epic. Oh, it totally is. It it <laughs> it, it and I agree with you on the Fight Club thing. Like, if you were a rambunctious twenty-year-old, Fight Club definitely speaks to you, right? But as if if you were, I mean, if if you had never seen uh, it, like it's what what do you what are you thinking? Well, I don't I don't I don't know if I like that term rambunctious twenty-year-old because I think you're alluding <laughs> to the fact that I only like that movie because oh. of the quote-unquote fighting, right? Okay, all right, and I mean. And I mean, and I mean, sure. I mean, there's that pure animalistic perspective of it. But the reason I like that movie is is just how clever it is. Wow. And yeah. you know, and then the second time you and and you know how it encapsulated, you know, you know, like how corrupt and evil the world really is, and how the working class people just get the fucking brunt end of the stick, and you know how you know consumerism is basically consuming us and you know, taking things that have really started to come to a head nowadays, you know, in 2020, and it just really been examined so well in the late 90s. I, I, and I mean, I became a Chuck Palahniuk fan because of the film, and Chuck Palahniuk is quoted saying that it actually makes, he went as far as to say as it improved, the movie improved on the novel, which is a huge compliment, which is why I always say, where does... I've never heard that before of any book. Right, like, being turned into a movie. Well, and every author is so, like every every artist is very protective of their work, right? I mean, that's that's that comes with the territory because you're putting yourself out there in whatever form you're doing. So, I can. How do you? How does a guy who's like, I did this. This is my blood, sweat, and tears. Probably two years of his I, life to write a book. I think. Yeah, I, I think it would probably speak. It would, I think it would speak to his his David Fincher's collaborative nature. Right and and how well he was willing to work with the source material and probably worked with 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 Chuck throughout the entire process of writing the script and adding to it and you know doing things and that that would be my guess on on the evolution of that. Well, he's like, like he was involved right from the get go. Yeah, and you're very right about that because Fincher has been people have quoted him as being incredibly meticulous, like three or mm -hmm. four rounds of casting, like the old Hollywood way, right? Where it's like mm -hmm. you, you really make them work to find out that thing, and then like they're a workhorse, right? They're a tool, and and I'm going to execute the use of this tool in a way that I know how, but I'm going to work it until it's the shape I want and the angle I want, which is like very slave master, but. Uh, yeah. That's what a director's job is to do. It is his, his job is to bring it all together, and it's, it's and have the vision. But is there, I guess, with his okay social network opening scene took ninety nine takes, ninety nine takes. Okay, that's a lot of takes, but not, it's also digital, so it's just hard hard drive. It totally not, and there's nothing to be said. It, but you know, you Christopher it, Nolan ain't doing ninety nine takes. No, <laughs> <laughs> ninety nine takes, but he only needs one. <laughs> But like, you know, we spent 20 million dollars on film. Yeah, that's anyway. the, the point of what I'm saying is, is like it, it, it that's that's task mastering. And, and, and just mm. with with how film is now understand, like the world of filmmaking is understanding it, its hierarchy needs to switch and everybody can tell a story no matter what sex you are. And, you know, male dominated industry and and a lot of those conversations. So I, it just it begs to ask the question, like I. I is that is that what makes those films great 
or not. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah, totally. Okay. That's that's why that's why Kubrick movies are great. Yeah. That's why Hitchcock movies are so great because In... because it's 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 the it's it, it's it's being it's 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 being meticulous and it's and it's and it's really holding the craft to the level of expertise or precision that it needs to be held to. I don't think that's a bad thing. Well, and I, I I guess it's just how you go about it because I I guess how I I mean there is a point of where harassment and and making somebody feel like a piece of shit can't happen. I get that, but you know what Kubrick did on The Shining, I imagine I, I, there's no real stories about Fincher being as bad as Kubrick where he's like, you know, Shelley long is exhausted and starved and, and like bothered in the middle of the night. So she doesn't get a good sleep by Kubrick to create what he wanted. But while at the same time, he's also the same guy who's saying, I'm not going to do this film. If you don't let me have the head in the box at the end of seven. So I, I appreciate that though. I, I think, you know, he, he, he's, he's so beholden to the vision of the full movie, every facet of it, that he's willing to put everything on the line to make sure it is the, the finished product and vision that he has, especially after his, such a shitty experience with alien three, where the studio basically recut it all up. I mean, I, we were, you, we were, uh, uh, I was doing a little bit of reading on some research for this, for the podcast. And like, they, there was like $7 million worth of sets they didn't use for alien three. Right. Like, could you imagine if they actually like I'd love to see like a David Fincher's director's cut of that where he could actually go back and re put it all together? I don't think oh, that would ever be able to happen, but that would be so cool. Just to, yeah, to touch back on three, like I, I, I know it totally. It, he see the creative differences. He broke very hard right, hard left from what Cameron and Scott put down. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a, I mean. To, to his to to the fact that he is so beholden to this and and steadfast stubborn whatever you want to call it at the same time like he kind of was like okay you know I, I don't want to take this too far out of what these guys have done because it clearly is a series at that point if you're the third movie not staying true to at least the first movie you know like the second movie always has a little bit of wiggle room so but I do like the movie I really I really think the premise is great I loved. I love the weird prison that was in mm-hmm. it. Like I, I mm-hmm. really, I, I love this. Like it's the alien. Feels... I appreciate that Newt wasn't in it. Like it, it was better without her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, she, she also would have been like twenty one at the time of the filming. She would have had to cast a new person. Yeah, it, and it didn't really. It wouldn't. It would be weird to the storyline. Like she's already been rescued from the aliens. Now Sigourney's got to rescue her from this island of prisoners who are all men shacked away on purpose yeah you know you know what though you know you know how you said you kind of feel like the third one deviated from what from like the like the coherent message the first you had yeah i actually think all three are different completely different really the first one the first one is a is a uh is a horror thriller movie set on a ship where you're basically trapped the second one is like an action epic sci-fi movie right where like you know the army comes in to save the day and you know it's it's and it's got you know the 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 typical layered storyline of of general awesomeness that people love to go see in a big action movie, and then the third one is it almost takes like a a complete one eighty from that and like dwells into kind of like a a dark dreary depressing weird world, but it's still in the future and it's 
You know, I, 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 that's what I love about those three movies is they're so different, but they use the same source material throughout. Yeah. It, okay. I can see that. Yeah. And it, they, alien, it will always have a very special place. It, it is, the, it's my favorite in all of them, by the way. It, but I, nice. yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard for me to go there with all of it as much as I, I do want to ch- Like I do love him, but I just, I feel that that, that may, that may be why he is the way he is, but either way, the way he is, is what makes what he does so fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, what of all of them, what do you think, what do you think his most controversial film is? What's the one that people always go, well, cause I mean, I, I kind of, this is coming that from Fincher made that Fincher made. And what I mean by that is let's go with head in the box. Right. What? Let's okay. talk about that conversation for a second here. Um, I said before we started recording that I thought it was the the baby inside his wife, inside of Gwyneth. You think it's the head of Gwyneth in the box, correct? Yeah, that, that's what I had always assumed it was. And, and when you mentioned the baby, I was kind of like, whoa, I never conceptualized that before, but I can kind of see it. Because we don't, like we, we, we we assume that it obviously is the head in the box, right? And even in the mm-hmm. research that I did for this, it's quoted, air quoted, head in the box. But if the fetus was in the box, that would assume that Gwyneth is dead, but he now knows that his wife is dead and was pregnant, which is why I think it's a double whammy in that sense. Uh, and that would almost accentuate the wrath more, right? To get wrath as the final sin. See? Mm-hmm. That's so, I mean, that's one aspect of it being controversial. The second one, I mean, if you hadn't read the book, Fight Club in itself, I mean, the topic of conversation, you know, male masculinity beating the shit out of each Mm other. Um, Mm -hmm. Where does that rank for you on, you know, being a little risque? I, I love Fight Club. It, it has there's something about it that just and it's and it's not the fight scenes. Maybe you know maybe it's a shirtless Brad Pitt and you know it's my man crush coming out. But <laughs> you know, you know, all jokes aside. But I think it's just just the way those two play together. And I think once you watch it once and you actually know what the ending is and that you know they're actually one and the same and those kind of things. And then when you see it the second time and you're watching it the second time and you know where Tyler Durden first comes in on the plane, yeah. but you actually see snippets of him leading up to that. And I think that also plays into the fact of, you know, you know, Fincher kind of playing maybe into that digital realm where he was like, I'm going to put these individual frames of Tyler Durden in certain scenes and you're going to have Easter eggs, you know, leading up to where you actually meet him where there's like snippets of where he appears prior to that. And Which, then that also yeah. ties in with the with the picture of the dick at the very end, right <laughs> yeah. right before the credit, right? Which alludes to him being, you know, a uh, projectionist. And you know, why would you want this shit job so I can <laughs> so I can put single frames of pornography into children's movies? <laughs> I I shouldn't say controversial. More uh, what I guess what I meant and you nailed it is like what are the things that he does that make him so Fincher? And and yeah, you're right. Like you see little. You, you don't know what you're walking into originally, and he does an incredible job of keeping you guessing while placing it right in front of you. And I think that they, that is that is definitely the magic of that. Um, 
well, Fight Club's so clever too. Like, there's actual quotes in the movie that I still use to this time. Whenever anyone's talking about exercise or this or that, and I don't really like exercise and go to the gym, I always say self improvement is masturbation. I love that line. It is fucking gold, and it's amazing. Or every time I'm all, I'm walking by somebody in a tight aisle, I always think to myself, "No, do I give you the crotch or the butt?" <laughs> no, it's there. There is, and it's. And it's a testament to him working so closely with Palinik going, okay, what, what do we need to make your book? Because did you, and Brad Pitt delivering it too. Yeah. Oh, totally. There's, there's something, I mean, that's, I, I didn't really fall for Brad in Thelma and Louise. I fell for Brad in, you know, a red leather jacket and nothing on underneath like that. That's the Brad Pitt. I think we've all. And it it's it's the most loving crush. I honestly think he's just a beautiful. Yeah, with the best fucking hair. Like, right? How did he get awesome hair like that? It's, like, dude, like I was like trying to style my hair like that for years afterwards. But anyway, scientifically, he is just like like on a pure like biological level. That's what I see when I look at Brad Pitt. I I, I would like if if aliens were like, "What is your best?" I would be like, "Here is Brad Pitt." <laughs> <laughs> and he knows how to fly fish and right. ride a horse. Right. And like, doesn't take himself too seriously and gives a shit. Like there's yeah. I'm just like, man, yeah. fuck. And, and that is, and that is key to Fincher being a part of like, the micromanaging that we were talking about earlier and the incessant, like insanity that's on a set with him by this, but just by sounds. Um, mm-hmm. But having, knowing that that would come out of Brad Pitt, knowing how to pull that out of Brad Pitt, because that's one of those movies like like the 90s and the late 90s really started to get into some some really risque shit and mm-hmm. and like just the 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 primalness of Brad opening the door with rubber gloves on after railing Helen Bottom Carter and and like that's very that's very in your face and to and to and to take that from that scene and and, and argue for it and put it in and know how to relay it on screen and again make that room look so fucking dirty and, yeah. but like clean, dirty, right? That's the only yeah. way I can explain it is you get the purest version uh, and right in the background. And right Bob now. had bitch tits. Bob had bitch tits, <laughs> right? Which is, did you read the book? Um, I actually have never read the book. I own the book. It's one of those things where you, you buy the book <laughs> yeah. and you have the best intentions to read it. Totally. You're always like, okay, I'm, this is on my, this is on my, in my bedside stack. And you just, just don't get to it. It's just, you're like, I've seen the movie 9,000 times. I don't need to read the book. And now you told me that, you know, David, you know, uh, uh, Chuck said that he thinks the movie made the book better. So why do I need to read the book? Yeah, no, you don't. I mean, the only thing you need to read the book for is Jack is more prevalent. I am Jack's flaming liver. I am oh, okay. Jack's. That's cool. Yeah. So, and that's where you learn about the multiple personality disorder that he's suffering from. Right. So I, it, uh, it does, it does play well. Um, it's it, there. Let's get into the, some of the stuff. I mean, yes. Aliens three. Yes. Fight Club, yes, seven, right? Like those are on the nose, Fincher. But you keep, you kept wanting to bring this up, and and what is it the about game? Gong? No, the, we'll we'll get to the game. The game is, yeah. yeah. I don't want to blow our load too early here, um, but what is it about um, Gone Girl? Because I didn't feel that was really. I, I mean, I, I've only seen it twice, maybe. Which I mean, I've I've only I've only seen Gone Girl once, but um, I like Affleck in it. I do. 
I think he I think he actually has a decent performance. And uh, what's what's the, what's the what's the what's the actress's name? Uh, um, oh Pike. shit, Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike. Pike. Yeah. 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 She she cut her teeth uh, in Lord of the awesome. Rings. She did. Yeah. She did. She's also gonna. She's also gonna play um, um, Moraine in the new Wheel of Time. Really? But uh, oh yeah. And oh, she yeah. was. She was in Jack Reacher too. She was. We can do and this she was also Bond, And she was also a Bond girl. <laughs> really? She was a. She was. She was a Bond girl, but she played like the badass one that like ends up being the villain. And there's like some crazy like sword fight near the end because she's like a fencer. When the fuck was this? What Bond movie? Um, I don't know. I do do that. Oh, in our chat here. <laughs> um, hang on here. I'm gonna bring up. Uh, I'm gonna bring up the Gone Girl. Uh, the Gone Girl stuff here because I only have so many tabs on my fucking screen. Um, but yeah, no, that that one really isn't. I mean, it is a great movie. Uh, did I lose you? Are you still there? Yeah, no, I'm still here. Absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, there we go. Hang on. Here. Uh, Die Another Day, she's in. Really? Yeah, O2. So that was the one with Halle Berry. Halle Berry. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, those were it, those were some good Bond that's days. The, that's <laughs> the one where, like, the North Korean guys, where they, like, change their face and stuff like that, you know? Like, the North Korean guy, he changes himself into, like, a white English guy. I, You know what? Like, no, I'm very, very Pierce Brosnan around then. I didn't, but like I didn't. Goldeneye, I know well. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies, I know. Yeah, Tomorrow that was with yeah. Christmas Jones, right? That was with Denise Richards. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I'm gonna point the compass back here. So yeah, Ben Affleck, Roseman Pike, okay. Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, and Carrie Coon. And that was kind of ta- one of Tyler Perry's first kind of forays away from the Medina movies, right? Like, yeah, 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 before know? then. Yeah, like he was kind of like getting into a little bit of a serious role and stuff like that. And, and then I feel like the only thing he's done since then is just played more FBI agents. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, found, he's definitely found himself in an, in an FBI. Uh, he's typecasted himself into being that FBI agent who's menacing yet soft. <laughs> And I wear glasses, but when I take the glasses off, I <laughs> Are you are you channeling Horatio from CSI Miami? <laughs> I guess I was. I didn't know what to do. That. <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, I did like Gone Girl's basic premise. I mean, but I, it Ben Affleck does do well in it. I will give you that. Trying to like he did he did very well at convincing me that I didn't really know if he was involved or not until the very mm-hmm. end. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just doesn't have any pizzazz, right? Like Panic Room. No. I watched Panic Room the other night. And... I actually watched Panic Room last night too. Cause you inspired me that I'm watching this. <laughs> I said, so I put it on and I watched it with Michelle and Michelle was like, this movie's so good. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. Yeah. It's, yeah. it is, it is a sleeper. And I mean, Jodie Foster was supposed to be in, uh, what the heck? He was trying to work with her earlier. I've got this written down. So. Oh, she was supposed to be in the game. She was supposed yes. to play Sean Pantherall. Yes, she was supposed to, yes, exactly. And that didn't, that didn't work out. Um, but I, I'm kind of glad because I like Sean Penn in that role. Kind of like, you know, like the, the, the black sheep quasi junkie party boy kind yeah. of uh, younger brother. Yeah, I really like when he screams in the movie. Like a Sean Penn scream sounds 
like a five-year-old screaming to me. <laughs> it's the most unmanly thing he does, and he does everything manly. Sean Penn, I think, is all of the manhood in Hollywood right now wrapped in the one. Well, he's 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 got that look. Like you know, if if he was, you know, you just picture him. Everything he does, he's smoking. Yeah. You know. Yeah. My uh, yeah. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Dole, uh, when he was here in Winnipeg filming, uh, saw him do a snot rocket, just like walked by him because <laughs> they were filming downtown. And he like leaned yeah. over his chair and was like, <sighs> like right out his nose and then like went right back to work. <laughs> <laughs> like that is, I would love to see that. That would make my fucking day. I would be like, and yep. Then, and then he, yeah. And then he's hopping on a private jet to go build like, you know, like, you know, hot or like you know, houses with his bare hands and baby, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's a badass guy. Or like going after El Chapo. Yeah, totally. Uh, but yeah. yeah, like Panic Room did bring back thoughts of of Fincherness, only in the fact that I saw I saw a little bit of, and it, maybe it was just the dynamic he was trying to set up. Um, but I saw a lot of Kevin Spacey's character in Jared Leto's character in panic room, mm-hmm. like a little bit mm-hmm. of a menace. And then, um, Oh, what the fuck's his name? The cowboy singer. I, was, I meant to write this down. Today. Oh, Dwight Yoakam. Dwight fucking Yoakam as, as like this really fucked up guy. Like it, it just, it had, it had all of those qualities. Again, a tight digital clean feel that still looks real in the right light. Can I ask you a question? Like yeah. you know, the opening the opening sequence of that movie, you know, where the, it's showing like all the like all the different uh buildings and you know, around New York and stuff and yeah. with different light kind of cascading off and then it had like all the like the different titles like like integrated across things. That to me, I don't know what it was, it just it, it very hitchcocky kind of to me. It you know, is. Hitchcock would kinda of always have kind yeah. of like cool, different, interesting, you know, kind of like uh intros and stuff. So you weren't just like falling asleep during the uh, the credits. I totally know what you're talking about. Like the credits were given a little bit. Like the the intro, the intro to Seven is like that. The in, like his mm-hmm. intros are very. You know what it is? There's the music video director right there. Totally, and that, that's why you like House of Cards because House of Cards has an awesome intro. It does. It totally does. So does Mindhunter. I mean, I know I I I, I, I haven't seen Mindhunter yet. That's on my that's on my it is. And you know, I just I put I put the finger back in the dam and was like, TV, we're just gonna put you on hold for a second and go back to movies because we miss you so much. So as much as I want to allow Mindhunter into this conversation, I'm like, nope, nope, the party's okay. VIP okay. right now. But okay. uh, <laughs> um, it is worthy of a fucking conversation. Uh, anyways, um. That what you're talking about is incredibly hitch. It's like birds, right? It's mm-hmm. it's psycho, right? There is there's there's this manipulation. Vertigo, vertigo, ha- vertigo, vertigo too. Yeah, intros. and so does psycho. Like psycho, psycho's intro is unreal. Like it, but that's like a, such a good movie too. Yeah, no, I I love the the the, and it's a full track too. Like a lot of intros, they'll fade out. They'll they'll get the they'll they'll pay for the full song, but then they can they, they use like thirty seconds of it and it's gone. But his but, intros, uh, "Girl with the Dragon Tattoo" is a fucking music video too. It, it totally is, man. Yeah, he has like three minute intros. Those are those are music videos. It's like I still want to do this because this is where I came from, but this clearly is is what I do now. 
Um, I wish, I wish, I wish his remake of the girl with the, with the dragon tattoo had done well enough so he could have done the whole trilogy. Right. I yeah. I I totally I love agree the original with you. Swedish movies, but I loved his kind of like spin on it. And I feel that that was like that was him kind of. I mean, girl with the dragon tattoo, social network, social network. I mean, like you said, you you. I have it in writing. Sorkin plus Fincher equals amazing. <laughs> totally, that's the best way to put it. You got you got a got who is arguably one of the best writers of of of, and because they're they're from the same generation, right? They're yes. Straight up Gen Xers, right? And like Sorkin is so good. Like newsroom, like I get, I go from six to twelve every time I watch that. <laughs> he did, he did a series um, on TV called, uh, uh, and I'm only talking it's fucking because it's Sorkin. It was called Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip. It got one season, and it was a semi autobiographical tale of a late night comedy sketch show like SNL. Okay. And it is, I have the season of it. It is, I, I, I saw it in HMV one day and I just bought it because I was like, this is some of the best writing ever. Like the whip snap, like the, the smart quips in the social network back and mm-hmm. forth between everybody. And the and it's so, it's such dry humor, mm-hmm. but so perfect. And, and, and then his, like he, the, his scene um, is, is probably one of the best parts of the movie when they like go to pitch him and he's like got that call in the back of his throat. He's like, do you not even want to be here? <laughs> but yeah, like those, those collaborations. But I, what my point is as much as I want to gus over this um, is I feel that that was him switching into television, right? I feel that like the, the, the digital, his, his, his style of filmmaking because television right now, is becoming short movies, right? Like the quality that goes into television, HBO showing everybody what you can do with million, you know, eight mil, eight figure budgets for an episode. Well, yeah, and I mean, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, there's there's some books out there and some, you know, some characters and some universes that we would love to see in a movie, but a movie doesn't do it justice. It needs a TV series because it needs thirteen fucking hours, yeah, to, to show one book. No, it, like we like Game of Thrones. There's no way it could have ever been a fucking movie. No, the books are too. There's too much going on in the book, and the TV series cut out like tons of cool story arcs and characters. Well, see, you're and and in Zodiac with Fincher, he mm-hmm. made sure, and these these are the things that that you talk about that he makes sure of, and I and I and I, I didn't want to not point this out because I thought it was really cool. The dimensions of the Zodiac killer: height, weight. Um, voice, all that. You know how it changes throughout the movie? It's never the same mm-hmm. voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was done on purpose because they never got an accurate description of the Zodiac Killer. So he made sure that that aspect of the killings was in the movie. So that as the viewer, you went, that's not the same voice. But he's doing that on purpose because it was never the same voice for the cops. Cool. Right, like those. Uh, that's, that's one of those movies I've only seen once, and I, I really need to see it again. I love Jaron Hall. It's easily. I mean, we'll get into our favorites short soon enough here, but it's easily in. It's it's it it bounces back and forth. Depend and it, and a Fincher movie creates a Fincher mood. Agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree totally. Like I can go into Fight Club, 
and still come out, you know, like you've seen it enough times. It doesn't beat mm-hmm. your senses like it did the first couple times, right? Because it's like, whoa, this is no. raw and this is sexy and all that. But um, you can come out of Zodiac a little disturbed. Some of those kill scenes are pretty brutal. And like, I don't know how vaguely you remember it or not, but like mm-hmm. the two kids in the middle of the field when he came out from behind the tree. Do you remember that scene? And then he just stabs the girl in the back and you can see the knife going in. I'm like, Jesus, what the, f- like, what do you, th- like, it, but it's just Fincher well, it's Rock. Also, it's, also, it's also the sound of the knife going yes. in and out. And it's almost like they, they purposely, like, heighten that in the soundtrack. And I know what you're talking about. It's almost, it, it's, yeah. It, it's sickening. It, it, yeah. Like he, it's visceral, essentially, right? It's, it, it's supposed to make your, your stomach turn over a little bit yeah if you're not a, not a sociopath it, you see, yeah, oh there's guilt i get it i'm part of society <laughs> <laughs> um, i love i love this quote uh robert downey jr said but while working with him uh, i just decided aside from several times i wanted to i wanted to garrote him that i was going to give him what he wanted i think i'm a perfect person to work for him because i understand gulags <laughs> <laughs> I love how Robert Downey Jr. is genuinely super fucking hilarious. Yeah, like he's a really witty dude. And I'm gl- I'm so glad he like came into his own because oh, man, too talented to not have like be- like yeah. I imagine if, if he had, imagine if he hadn't been Tony Stark, it would be like it would be like if Harrison Ford hadn't been Indiana Jones. Like it's that monumental. Or Han Solo. Could you imagine Willem Dafoe with Han Solo? No, you can't. I'll put a pin in in Fincher for a second because this is this is something like Kevin Smith says that when they dig up civilization from our time, they won't find as many Bibles as they will find comic books. And sure. when the species that inhabits this planet long after we're all dust, they'll go, these were their gods. <laughs> and they made movies about their gods. Totally. And I can't wait until May the 4th is considered a bigger holiday than Christmas. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'd love staring, to... I'm staring at my, I'm staring at my star Wars calendar right in front of me right now. And on May the 4th, it says star Wars day. But then of course it has a trademark beside it because it means evil. But anyway, <laughs> no, no, I, I would love to compare the stats of Christmas to May the 4th and, and just see numbers wise, like, you know, outside of COVID um, what, who's making more money that day. Disney's making money no matter what day, but like what, what yeah. day makes more. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. They, they, they sell a lot of Jesus swag around yeah. the world though, my friend. That's true. Yeah. Um, crosses. I think, they sell more G- I think they sell more Jesus bobbleheads than they sell uh, baby Yoda bobbleheads. <laughs> 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 but one day though, the point of what I'm saying is one day, um, people will look and go, Robert Downey Jr. Was their God. <laughs> you know, well, it's, you know, it's funny. What's that? What's that movie, Rain of Fire, with um, Matthew McConaughey, Christian Bale, Christian Bale, and Christian Bale, yeah. and you know, so they're in that castle, and they're 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 telling stories and stuff, and the guys are actually telling, they're they're telling Star Wars as like a like an almost as a as a as a, as a bedtime story and like a fable yes. to the kids. Yes, and then and then the Lord, the Dark Lord, came out. Yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and they're and they're pretending to be the lightsaber battle and stuff like that. And the yeah. Kids are like, oh my god. 
you know that's, no that's our that's that's our post-apocalyptic future yeah no i i couldn't <laughs> but like don't listen to, don't don't listen to book of eli people aren't you know trying to bring a braille uh yeah bible to a printing press on alcatraz that's <laughs> no. not really what everyone's worried about nobody's saving the book of john <laughs> but yeah no you're 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 totally right about like if Robert Downey Jr. hadn't, and like I want to do uh, with with playing around and shit with with the show and stuff, um, I really want to do an actor thing too. So if you guys listening want us to do a little bit of a dedication, if this if if you like this one and you want us to do something else, we're more than we're more than down to. And Robert Downey Jr. I think should be our first. Robert Downey Jr. or Brad Pitt, me and you will do it. Okay. Sure. I'd also like to do Brian Cox. Because then we can talk about super troopers. Yes. Well, fuck. Yeah. There's, there's so many things to talk and, about with movies because there's nothing else to do right now. <laughs> oh, and you can tie it into TV because have you seen Succession? Brian Cox is badass in that. But anyway, um, let's, let's, why don't we go back to Fincher? Yeah, let's go back to Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got to be so patient with us. Uh, okay, so let's let's kind of bring this into a close here because I think we've gone over a lot of stuff here, but the one the one thing I know you wanted to talk about um and I think on a philosophical level is the ending of the game. Oh. Like what a good ending. You know, and it's and the you know, you know those movies and you watch the whole movie and the end is just like holy shit. Yeah. And it just like emotionally builds you up and up and up and then it completely does a 180 and that was one of those movies you know how most movies you kind of maybe have an you're you're thinking you're you're theorizing how it's going to end, right? So it's kind of like you're you're seeing multiple endings that could happen, pathways, right? And with the game, you're kind of like p- picturing how it's going to end, and then it ends, and you're just like, what the fuck? What the fuck just happened? Like it's just it's like a total mind fuck, and it ends so good. You're just like, and you feel so good about it, and it's like you almost have like sweaty palms, and it's just. And just like everything is just like relieved. That's that's what I like about that end. I'm not gonna ruin it because there might be some people listening that haven't seen the game and they need to watch it. it I mean, yeah, no, totally. Uh spoiler alert for anybody, if this is something that you or have been told to see probably a hundred thousand times because it is essentially one of, if not one of the biggest it's it's at the top of everybody's mind fuck movie list, for sure. We did an episode about what movie what would you do to somebody in real life that you could prank with that had to be inspired from a movie and the game was what inspired the whole thing like that totally there's totally. there's so many things and again with the like the the the, the muted colors and the in the digital mm-hmm. footage and the, the fact that though everything that was done in the mansion that was shot in one day one day That's cool that's ridiculous. That is that is that is where like I'm like I love your art, man. I totally do, and I get that sometimes you gotta know how to push people in a team setting to get together, and you know you know how to move mm-hmm. people. You're you gotta be a little bit of Steve Jobs, right? Um, and maybe David Fincher is the you know because he looked up to guys like Alfred Hitchcock and Stanley Kubrick. You find out why they do such good work, thus whatever. But I mean, one day of shooting for that many scenes is. And those many intricate, I mean, you've got, you've got and a, for a guy that is so meticulous and wants to do a million takes. Like yeah. That's, 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 that's pretty amazing. I think when they say, yeah, it took one day, it was like, yeah, because it took 4,000 fucking takes and Jesus. and you know, he, and there's something again to be said for that sort of meticulous nature, but really at some point, 
I don't know. I I keep coming back to it because that's 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 the guilty Catholic in me. I don't want to. You know, you know, one other one other thing I love about the game is I've 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 had the pleasure of watching it two other times with somebody that was like a virgin to the movie, and I love watching the whole movie with them, and then getting to see their reaction. <laughs> yeah. Because I know what's going to happen, but they have no clue. It's kind of like when you watch the first ep- or the first season of Game of Thrones, and you get and somebody didn't know yeah. that Ned. Like, cause like when I first watched it, um, my roommate, I was watching with and Ned Stark died. He's like, Ned Stark died. And I know the whole time cause I read the book that Ned Stark was going to die. It's kind of like on that kind of level, right? Where it's just, you're just, you know, so emotionally invested in something that the ending just completely just throws you for a loop. And I love that. I love, I love seeing that reaction. Do you think on a le- do you think what Cameron did to his brother was fair yes he needed it totally it was, a, do- it was a humbling it was a humbling fucking experience and he was a better human for it at the end definitely 100 percent. like that's 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 the end that's that you're in the end game right there um mm-hmm. but at like would you do that to somebody that we know <laughs> if, if i had that kind of money maybe Cause that's some serious, like not only like fuck you money, but that's some like fuck you money. <laughs> well, you gotta you gotta ask yourself: Is the person you're gonna do that to mentally stable enough to handle it throughout the whole time, or are they just gonna deviate off course completely? I couldn't find. I would love, like, if I if 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 we could have like a, a dinner for three, you, me, and and Davey F. Um, I would love to be like, I would love to know how much, cause I couldn't find a lot of how much input he had on what scenes in there. Like the, the, the obvious ones we had notes on, but I'd love to find out how much of he had to do with like the clown and then the hotel room shots mm-hmm. and like the, the, the things that really start to topple him. I want to know, you know, was that always in the writing or did, you know, did this stuff kind of come alive on set? Because, um, mm-hmm. Where you know where 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 was his mindset at? Because you can clearly see it on everything else, but this one's a little was a little lost on me. So, yeah, you know, one thing I wish had happened with Fincher. I, I I know he was in talks with Disney a few years back to make a remake of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Could you imagine yeah. a Fincher style Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea with Captain Nemo and the Nautilus and like the huge freaking like CGI squid and stuff like that? But I think obviously you know. With him wanting to have so much control, I, I, I'm I'm sure, you know, with the source content <laughs> yeah. and you know, you know, and it's such an epic book, and you've got that precedence of that, you know, um, uh, uh, what's Michael Douglas' uh, dad's name? Kirk. Um, Kirk Douglas. You know, you know, just being, you know, having such that monumental role in that movie. But man, that would have been so dope. Oh, uh, it would have been like he. It's kind of like. I know people who argue seven. Is it horror or is it thriller? What do you? What's your take on that? I think it's a thriller. Yeah, I agree with you too. I think it's a thriller. I mean, it's got a very it it feels it feels like a horror because of how it's shot, but it reads like a thriller because it's a crime thriller, right? Like if you yeah, but it, 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 it's 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 not a horror because to me, a horror movie has points where they're scaring you on purpose. Something is jumping out at you and makes you jump. And kind of like leap out, right? That movie doesn't really have embody that. That's where I, that's why I think Alien is a horror movie because yes. it has it embodies those types yeah. of scenes. Okay, right? 
and, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to pigeonhole all horror movies and say that they have to embody that, but that to me is one of those kind of telltale things that most horror movies have at some point or in some capacity within the, within the film. Yeah, no, I get that. And I, I guess my, what I'm, what I'm relating this to is you say 20,000 leagues under the sea. I think he would do, I think he would do a really dark, scary, I think I think he'd almost 13. go horror with it. I think I think it would push him into that. You'd have to. You'd have to. Totally. He's got a giant squid coming out. Like I mean, it is sci-fi in a lot of ways, but would it would it be would it what Twenty Thousand Leagues would it be? Would it be a remake of the original with all the rinky tinky submarine stuff, or would it be? I think. Would it, I, I would think it be would Prometheus, do, something like that, right? You know, or like, it would almost almost be like kind of similar to this the movie sphere, right? Where it's kind of like just near future or, but I think it would have been so cool if it, would, it had it like a Victorian vibe. Yeah. You know, no, totally. we're going back to, to the time when Jules Verne actually wrote the story. And oh, you want to go, you want to go back to like actual naval ship days. No, like 1890s, like, you know, talking like, you know, Sherlock Holmes kind of Victorian. Sure, yeah, no, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, you oh, know? okay. But, and it, so it's almost like a little, it's almost a little steampunky, right? And that, steampunky, you know, so, yeah, like a lot okay. Of it, but, 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 it, but it's got electricity, so, you know, it's still kind of in that kind of realm and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it could have gone both ways, but that to me is just kind of the classic thing because, you know, it's kind of cut from the, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, The Time Machine, like those types of books. That yeah, Jules, Jules Verne Adventure time. Books. I know what you're saying. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and yeah, it he would have stretched his legs because everything he does is, save for Benjamin Button, I mean, that's a timepiece, technically. Um, it is, but it's such a bizarro film. It's so cool. Yeah, I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's what? Only, it's the only one I haven't seen, oh, buddy. Man. <laughs> oh man, it's 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 so weirdly creepy, but awesome, and it's just and 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 it's it's a timepiece, but it 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 shows each one of these different decades so well, and it embodies it, and it's just it's and it's it it truly is it's a love story, like it, like through and through, and the fact that you know, you know they meet in the middle, and then you know and and ah, you, you just got to see it. It's great. It's 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 cool. It's definitely a, a different vibe. It it is, and I think I was. I think, I think that was kind of the reason I haven't seen Isle of Dogs by Wes Anderson. It's because I was let down by Fantastic Mr. Fox in a little bit because I mm. I really love, I I, I love the, the the underlying hate all of his characters have for each other in person, and it doesn't come through in a cartoon, even in voice. Uh. So I didn't want to see Benjamin Button because I, you know, you you grow you you grow up not literally, but you grow up on Fight Club and Seven and yeah. Aliens, and you you go okay. I know it's kind of like when your favorite artist makes a different album, right? When you're when your director, I get it. yeah, they they and you just you're like I like what I like, and I don't want that ruined at all. And uh-huh. it's so weird because it's Kate Blanchett, if I'm not mistaken, right? And yes, yes. Brad Pitt. So love Brad Pitt, love David Fincher, but not enough to like. Maybe even you don't like Bo- you don't like Kate Blanchett. I love Kate Blanchett. I I totally love. I I think the hottest superhero villain of all time is Kate Blanchett from Ragnarok. Like, oh, I, dude, well, Ragnarok is just like is like is the best Marvel movie ever made, this, as far as I'm concerned. I yeah, but that I, that could be another whole conversation. <laughs> Tico Watiti is a whole. <laughs> oh my god, Tico Watiti is a fucking. Like, I just want to do acid and talk about Tico Watiti. 
Dude, dude, we should talk about him. That should be our next director. Sure. Like, dude, yes. He's 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 gonna after this Thor movie, he's filming Akira. Akira yeah. Right. Action. I know. I've like, been waiting. I've been waiting twenty years for this, man. Leonardo DiCaprio has like is is has been like a the executive producer on this forever. I've been waiting for it. That no, and, it, and they he's... almost it almost happened a few years ago. They had casted um um uh, what's his name Garrett uh, the guy that was in Tron. He was supposed to play Kanata. Oh, Garrett Headland. Yes, he yeah. would have been originally cast to play it, and then the funding fell through, and blah 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 blah. But anyway, that's another conversation itself. <laughs> You're so full of inspiration, Rob. <laughs> um, I mean that sincerely. So, well, we we got to leave that for episode ninety six or whatever. Yeah, um, <laughs> just a couple other things I wanted to 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 get off my chest about this that I that I've that I didn't put in order for any fucking reason. Um, he moves the camera when he wants to create movement. And I and I was researching this and was like, oh, okay, yeah. I couldn't think of any examples. And then with seven on in the background before we started talking, um, mm-hmm. when they're in the apartment and Brad Pitt's like, I don't know why the real estate agent wouldn't show us the apartment for more than five minutes at a time because the subway rolls through. He oh, lets yeah. the yeah, subway, whatever's happening, he lets the subway shake the camera. So it gives you... Oh. That's right. It does. Like when when he's sitting there with Morgan Freeman at the table. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like he lets that happen. Like those are and 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 that obviously that that little shaking movement. Like it it's it's interesting because it it's visceral. Again, it's one of those things, right? Where he's caring about yeah. because he micromanages every department. That's that's what's different about him. I think is because we you can really credit a lot of things, the way light is used, the way the camera angles are played, the, the, the way the camera shoots specifically, um, his shooting style, uh, his, the, the way he chooses his characters. Like it's almost like you have your each department, but then you've got this menacing figure of force Mm -hmm. overseeing that person. Now, like that's a lot of work to do. I think that movement of the camera too, like think about, I think of two movies where there's kind of like, they actually use CGI to kind of move the camera in more. Yeah. And like when I watched uh, Panic Room last night, there's a couple of scenes where they're like moving around through the main floor when the guys are basically walking around trying to break in. But it's like it, it, it's moving the camera kind of like it's almost like it's sneaking through. And it's a combination of both um, regular filming cuts and then like CGI. And then there's also that scene in Fight Club where he's talking about the explosion of his uh, refrigerator. And yeah. it basically goes through and it shows like the gas turning on and the gas. Yeah. That whole sequence. Following, yeah. It's following the path of the gas all the way until the compressor basically ignites it when, when, when it, when that, when that, when it sparks. Yep. Yeah. And that's the digital thing that you can't do with film. Like it just would be such a nightmare to try and do that. And and I think that like he doesn't like squibs. He doesn't like any sort of real blood being used. All of his blood is done in post. The Benjamin Button CGI is all done in post. Because he's such yeah. a nut for digital film, you know, another info drop, he him and Red, Red Cameras, actually built a new camera for the rowing sequences so that they could get oh, them in social network. In social network. Like there's a camera that was designed for those shots. That's how like Well, I mean the fact the fact that you have a single guy playing both twins too, right? In that entire movie is, is phenomenal. Well, okay, no, I found out. Same guy, 
two different people. Uh, Army Hammer's head was superimposed on somebody else's body in post too. So he only oh, so they just so they just found somebody with the same physical physique exactly and size yeah. as really yeah. So it's Army Hammer's did head you know, on one. Did you know Army Hammer is uh, related to the Arm and Hammer uh, fortune? No. Fun fact. That that's that's just painfully ironic. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> no, what's painfully ironic is the um, is is the um, uh, the Lone Ranger movie. That's oh, ironic. Uh, was that a Michael Bay disaster? I think that was. It, it was also an Army Hammer disaster. Yeah, it was Army so. Hammer and Johnny Depp. Oh, that was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, I think not pushing back against change really skyrocketed Fincher into a style of filming that, you know, like you, he's craft. He's exactly, you know, he's, he's kind of the antithesis of Nolan where Nolan is like still works with film and loves IMAX and wants to build every massive set. You know, Fincher is kind of the antithesis of that, which I kind of like. Yeah. And I love both of them. Fix it in, in a different way. Fix it in post. Right. Where it's like, get it done in one cut. You know, like we've, you got one time here, guys, we're going to make this spinning room where you're in a dream within a dream and we're going to do one cut. You ready? <laughs> oh man. I love that movie we'll, so much. We'll rehearse for four days, but you only get 30 seconds to get it right. guys. <laughs> like, you better be good. Like, and so like, would you either have Nolan who's like one shot only buddy or Fincher who's like 1000 more to go? Like it's, it's. <laughs> What, what do you but then I'm only do? going to choose one of those in post and do some alterations. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so the other 999 were what for fucking around? Cause you're bored. It's, but anyways, uh, <laughs> needless to say, well, he must be doing something right. Cause Brad Pitt worked with him three times. Right. So. Yeah. Brad Pitt's is Johnny Depp. It's, uh, it's the, uh, Tim uh, Tim Burton Johnny Depp relationship happening all over or the Robert De Niro or Leonardo DiCaprio um why can't I think of his name he directed Goodfellas Mar- Martin Scorsese <laughs> uh yeah no totally yeah they they all <laughs> they all kind of uh they all yeah they all the they all have their muse. they find an actor and they 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 sculpt movies around them and I like that yes yeah and when you find that that really lovely duo which I wonder if that could be a topic of conversation it's it's um, like Michael Caine and Christopher Nolan right Michael Caine this is Michael Caine <laughs> <laughs> so okay out of everything we've talked about out of everything we've yeah. covered what is your favorite if you were forced to pick strong armed into a corner what's your favorite David Fincher film. It's Fight Club. Fight, okay, all right, and yeah, like, is is it because is it because it was part of your youth? And I don't mean that in the rambunctious way. Like there is, there, there's either. definitely there's definitely a nostalgia with it, right? And you know, it's kind of like you know when you, you there's a certain smell you hear or a certain song you hear, and it brings you back to a certain time and a feeling. I think that there's a strong tie with that. So I just I like the movie. I find it clever. I find it it's 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 so timeless. Even though it's 99, it feels like it could have been filmed right now, and you're just substituting, you know, the Nokia stick phone for an iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it just it has that feel. I think in another 10 or 20 years, no one's going to know what a payphone is. You might have to re-explain that. But other than that, I think it's definitely got that um, timelessness about it, too. I 
Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And I, I like the and I like the big dick frame right at the end. <laughs> yeah, like that, like taking because it is it's a very in your face novel. It's a very spitting in the face mm-hmm. of the twentieth century movement. It's a spit in the face of consumerism, identity. Mm-hmm. A, a, there's a lot of things to unpack in the ninety nine versus the one percent. Right. You know, there's yeah. So many so many levels to it. Right. <laughs> the working class versus the you know upper class and that kind of thing. How about you? What's your favorite? It's a hard choice, right? I was only quick because I knew you were going to ask me this, so I've been thinking about it for a week. Yeah, I've been thinking about it for a week too. Um, I, I'm going, I'm going with Zodiac. Button, even though Zodiac. <laughs> Zodiac. Wow. I really. Why? Well, I, I love. I love the thing. And I didn't mean that, why as in like oh, in, yeah. I was in disbelief. I meant just like explain yourself. I love the casting of Jake Gyllenhaal mm-hmm. and Robert Downey Jr. together. It is it, I the I don't I don't know how to really put it into words and it's a podcast, so I guess I should have wrote something down, but <laughs> I like the sleuth- off the cuff. Yeah, I, I like the sleuthiness of them. Um I like the never say die that they just gung ho. Like I love, I love Fincher's take on how two guys who shouldn't be going after one of the most deadliest serial killers that never was caught. That's still on the lamb, right? Like that's a pretty, and I mean, it's over the course of time, the, 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 the capturing of the story, which isn't true. It, it's totally fucking fiction, but just the story of how, two newspaper reporters, one of them who was a cartoonist, go after this guy and like sleuth their way through it with the puzzles. Like it's just a really smart movie to me about a very dark subject and mm-hmm. what's portrayed really well in it. Um, the violence of the killings. I mean, I'm a big serial killer nut. I like, I like when brains go rotten. I like to f- read about, you know, what, why did that guy crack? Right. What is it that makes people crack? And there's a, it's a very good representation of somebody cracking from society. And then like the things I mentioned before about how he, he brings in the, uh, the, the different aspects by changing voices and body sizes, right? Like paying mm-hmm. attention to, to crime notes and making it just like just peppering it with that much more. Like they say, they say the Japanese do food better because it's just cause they care. Right. I was listening to David Chang on Dex Shepard's podcast and he said they just it's not about the best ingredients and spending the most money. It's just because they care. They find out how to make them care more about something. And I feel mm-hmm. that is what Fincher does so meticulously in that movie. I think it's one of his best representations of it. Mm-hmm. And I need to I need to rewatch that movie now. Yeah. Like it it's it goes it's a it's a lot of phases because it takes place over like a seven year stretch where the killer mm-hmm. is in and then he's out and then he's back again and uh no it's it in san francisco area right like san Fra- area? yep san francisco yeah, yeah. uh Val- Valen- oh, i can't remember the name of valencia i think is valencia mm-hmm. california and san francisco but in like late 60s early 70s and then poof no more nice. no more fucking zodiac <laughs> you nice. retired um well i got one final question before we take off from this because we <laughs> I knew this was going to happen <laughs> so that we um, went we went with that we went 40 minutes over our plan oh well that and the fact that we were just going to go hard in the paint about one thing I was like what the fuck do we need to talk about anything else for <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, quickly though, this and the reason I asked this question is because I knew we were going to talk about the game because the game is one of the most intense movie endings of all time. So um, what movie ending just fucking ruined it for you? The Postman. <laughs> so, so, so you're I delivering mean, mail? <laughs> like, okay, like, I mean, I shouldn't even say that. I mean, the whole movie's fucking terrible. I mean, the beginning kind of starts cool and stuff like that. And I mean, the book is really cool because it's like cyborgs and stuff. And I was like, sweet, there's gonna be like cyborgs and stuff. And it was just another fucking Kevin Costner movie with horses. But the end, where he's riding the horse and then he rides past and he's like collecting mail. And then this little boy walks out and holds up the letter and he turns around and there's kind of like a little bit of a slow-mo and the, the horse kind of kicks up and, and then he like gallops back and he grabs the letter. <laughs> and then that alludes to like in the, in the near future from when this post-apocalyptic world was, you know, put right because the post office was, was recreated and they and they have a statue of him collecting the letter from the little boy. I was just like, Wah! and I was just like fucking walked out of the movie. <laughs> you walked out? Fucking walked out at that moment, even really? though there was probably a couple more minutes. Yeah. And I've never seen that movie since. It's, 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 it is ridiculous because it's literally, okay, so he just did the mail. Like there's, there's no, that is one of the, the driest there's movies. More to, it, there's a lot more to it, but it, for some reason, somehow they pulled out like this two and a half hour movie that just like never ends. And I always feel bad about walking out because it's like, you know, I paid my, you know, I guess this would have been like 98 or something. So, you know, I paid $7 and 50 cents to go see this movie, but you know, it's just, I don't know. It was just bad. 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 I, I get it. No, I, I totally get it. I'm just trying to think of. So, so what's yours? <laughs> it honestly isn't so much the endings ending as the endings that really bothered me. And it was in the first or it was in the last Lord of the Rings, the seven fucking endings. The, it just, I, I really was fine. Like at the end of return of the King, we're talking about. Yeah. Like the, the, the seven, parts of the story where like every everybody has to have their own ending it seems mm. i've i have yet to really i i can i try to always look on the bright side so i i i try to see some sort of artistic expression in it um on some level and give credit where credit's due but when i was dragged through constant endings um i really didn't appreciate that i was maybe i was in a bad mood that day but I remember just like, is it, is this, is this the regular theatrical release or is this the extended? Version? It's the regular theatrical release. It's not, it's the one where it's like, okay, they drop the ring in. This is the logical end point, but then they got to get back to the fucking, they got to get back. Not only to Shire. not the Shire, they got to get back to the elf kingdom. And then once they're done at the elf kingdom, they got to get back to the fucking Shire. And then when they get back to the Shire, they got to find fucking Gandalf. Like it's just so monotonous. And it's like, you, this, the perfect ending is, Bilbo and and Frodo dropping the ring in. That's what the whole story is about. Everything else is is noise. It's great. I'm not knocking it, but the whole story is a bunch of guys. It's the Kevin Smith take that I guess I kind of fall into, right? It's a bunch of guys just fucking walking, right? It's all it is. Just a lot of fucking walking. And well, and, and you know, and uh, first supper and uh, first breakfast, right? And first lunch and second lunch and 
in between lunch and <laughs> like, <laughs> like when you read the books, you're just like, holy fuck, man. Like seriously. It, yeah, no, I, I just, that really, it really, it really, it really bothered me a little bit. And I mean, like, okay, I guess now rambling through my brain as, as, as I'm trying to give an honest answer about it, the end of punch drunk love was a little bit of a letdown too. I mean, there is so much buildup and then it's like, okay, so pudding, it was always the pudding. Do you remember that? I think, I think what really it's the Adam Sandler, uh, serious Paul Thomas Anderson movie about the guy who gets swindled by a phone sex operator. And then is that the one, is that the one where he's playing the tiny little piano? And yes. Just run over? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson's movies, even the master, like it closes pretty like, okay, what am I, what am I left to really take away from this? Besides the fact that, okay, I guess it's just you showing that this happened and it's your take on it. Right. But punch drunk love is, is, is full of a lot of weird angst. Like a, a lot Would of you rather see pudding at the end or, or Mark Wahlberg talking to a giant dick. In, in other <laughs> Anderson movies. Uh, I'd rather be, I I'm fine with that dick scene. Cause it's just hilarious. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it, it literally makes everything you watched before it not worth it when you find out like, cause you're like, how big is his dick? You what you wait for three, almost three hours to find out how big is his fucking dick. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. Yeah. Like, like, like that's like get a boner and you like, you feel like lightheaded big. <laughs> that's, that's, that's get a boner and I need a trailer to leave the room. <laughs> I get back pain. Yeah, yeah, I have back pain. What, what? You don't have tits. It's not in my tits, my friends. It's nowhere near my in my pants. Oh um, man, that's a great way to end this whole podcast. Oh, totally. Yeah, this is <laughs> dumb question time. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, uh, this this has been a fucking blast. Thank you for helping me through this the, the first time we've done this if i will i would love it if people listening were like hey yeah you guys could add this or you know change that if there's if there's something that you guys want to hear us talk about um i am more than able to read and that we have an email address it's the real debaters at gmail.com if you want to uh, send us an email and talk to us about an idea or something like that um social media just find real debaters on twitter on facebook and on instagram it's r-e-e-l debaters as in we're trying to be funny um yeah besides that rob you got uh you got any plans to watch anything fun next couple days or uh well it sounds to me like i gotta watch zodiac (laughs) i gotta gotta figure out which streaming service it's on or if i gotta download it from a torrent (laughs) i uh i have an actual like like legit copy of it. So um, if you give it on DVD or Blu-ray, I have it. Uh, I think I have it on DVD. No, I have a, yeah, I have it on DVD. I never owned a Blu-ray player, so it's definitely on DVD. Ooh, yeah, DVD. I know. I know. I don't even, let's, 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 let's just save shop talk for your second episode. <laughs> and thanks. Thanks for coming back and doing it again. Fuck. <laughs> no, no, I love doing this anytime, anytime. I'm always down. I'm always down. Awesome. Um, I want this part, uh, where you, I know we were going to talk about how we were going to do this and it we didn't even come up today, but um, your partner owns a business and uh, right now people need to hear about businesses. So as many people that listen here that are from Winnipeg and the surrounding area, um, what does what does wifey do? Well, you, 
you know, I mean, she owns a local kombucha company called Woolsey Kombucha, and I think I want to tie for everybody into, listening. Uh, my uh, my lovely my lovely fiance um, Michelle Leclerc, mother of my uh, beautiful little daughter uh, Lucy. Um, but you you made a comment and about how it's good because they care, and the reason her kombucha is so good, the flavors are off the are just unreal. And it just, it's so, it's so refreshing and great, but there's just so much love in that product and she cares so much about it. And I think that's really the root of why it's such a great thing. It is. And you can check, delicious. you can check out our website, wolseleykombucha.com. Uh, we do curbside pickup and uh, delivery to the home and uh, you know, there's swag and kombucha all available on there. And uh, you can also pick it up at uh, local retailers like Generation Green and Vita Health. So yeah, I I have I have lemon ginger in the fridge right now, and it makes a kick ass Moscow Mule. So it totally does. If you want good gut health and enjoy a cocktail at the same time, there you it's a fucking two for one. You can't go wrong with that. Absolutely, man. Absolutely, you're uh, you're pre treating the hangover. <laughs> you're getting that next day hangover shit out of the way. <laughs> totally, totally. All right, Rob. Well, you take care. Uh, say hello to wifey and uh kiss lucy and uh thank you again for coming on the show awesome thanks for having me i really appreciate it mike All right, talk buddy. to you soon you too thanks man. bye hello jd hello how are you on this lovely Saturday afternoon? I'm good. Uh, just woke up a little while ago because time means nothing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay because I was up really late. Uh, no, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, all things considered. You can't complain. It's, I think it's the first lovely day of the week. Shauna is uh, asking me after this is done to go out for a walk, which I'm like, okay, fine. I don't mind going for a walk where it's not like Twister. You know? Yeah, that's that's fair. Like I, I have a lot of family in Ontario, and apparently it like snowed substantially in there today. And I just that's so awesome to be in Winnipeg and not have that happen to you, for right? Once. Uh, so yeah, I might just take like a, a spite uh, or just a shit eating grin, walk around like <laughs> I could do this. Uh, <laughs> like I'm, whatever. I'm gonna go to the Kelvin High School track and walk around and be like, "Yep, it's nice to not be the focus of the of of the yep. weather in Canada for once." For once, for once. And like whenever they you can, like whenever they do it, they're always like, "Oh, those poor fuckers in Winnipeg." And it's like we've been like, like it's all relative, right? We've been putting up with shit weather going long eating into our spring for for well for as long as climate change has really been around so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um like we're used to it here but we're always like the poor sap on the news in like bc where they're like in winnipeg they got snow and it's june 2nd <laughs> when i first I, mo- I moved to winnipeg like in 2008 and then when i first did my mom used to watch like the manitoba news every now and again like see what was happening here and it became like the thing for like two or three years and she's like how are are you okay I'm like everything's fine don't worry about it and then eventually she's like i just stopped watching it because it's just it's i just i feel bad for you I'm like, <laughs> that's <laughs> the worst news to watch to find out if your child is okay <laughs> Like, I know. I was like, so I, I had to lie all the time. Like, oh, I thought someone got killed. It's like, oh, don't worry, mom. That's the part of the neighborhood I don't ever go to. Like, I'm, like, I'm like, it's like, don't tell her that. I'll just make her upset. So I'm like, hey, that was good. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'm fine. 
I love that. Like my my mom would be like she like because you know moms in Winnipeg will just hear about other areas of Winnipeg, obviously for the news. But I can like you know Winnipeg, your relative, right? So my mom is like, oh god, something's going on downtown. My baby's only four blocks over. But like when you're not even in the province, I would imagine your mom's like murder, murder, suicide, drug overdose, robbery, (laughs) murder, and then it's like commercial break. Yeah, when I was growing up, we lived near uh, Centennial Gym and Centennial Pool, which is like they built them in the Centennial in, in Oakville, Ontario. And they're quite nice and they're very nice facilities. And we lived in a decent neighborhood. And now I live in the neighborhood of Centennial in Winnipeg. And she's like, oh, that sounds nice. I'm like, yeah, sure. It's lovely. Don't bother bringing up that it's the second poorest zip code in all of Canada. And that it's really scary sometimes. I barely. When I leave my front door, I book it to an, to the exchange. Uh, but, no, I yeah. get it. And what she doesn't know won't hurt her. Exactly, that's the rule Unless of being a son. She looks this up. Hi, mom. She sometimes finds things that I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, mom. I'm just trying to make you feel better. I'll call you tomorrow for Mother's Day. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's get off the weather because we know every Winnipegger talks about it, and you've been here long. We're aware enough. of it. Yeah. We're aware of it. We're living it. It's a lovely day. Fuck yes. Walks later will be great. Um, so uh, I didn't want to leave this any longer after I found out about this, but this week, uh, Demolition Man Two. <laughs> oh, good God! Never thought I'd say those words. Never thought. No. Right? Because like, it 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 is. It's one of those movies that. I was really excited when I because I saw Stallone's clip on online of him just like sh- like nonchalantly being like, "Yeah, Demolition Man two, it's uh, it's gonna get made. Uh, I think they're writing it right now." And I'm like, "What the fuck? Like, how is that? How is that just like meh for the fucking par for the course for you, man? Like, that's a huge deal." He has entered this interesting phase in his career that I'm not sure any action star really has, where. Like, I, I don't know how well the Rambo sequel did. I, I know the Creed no did bad, well. bad, so it did bad. bad. Okay, it did bad. But okay, it, wait, but hang it, on. Which one? What, like the 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 one where he goes back to Vietnam? Because that one was that one was good. The the new? Are you talking about the new one? The, the, like the newest, newest one. The one where he's like fighting like, the, the cartel. One from like last year. Right? Yeah, bad, so bad. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Oh, it, I'll tell you yeah, another day. <laughs> Where like Old Town Road was in the trailer for some reason. Yeah, um, like I'm like, what are you doing? You totally take um, away your your action star credit by like just the fact that Billy Ray Cyrus had to help that song become a country hit, which I totally respect that he did that. But still, it's not a good intro it, to a trailer. Incidental. It's just like, what are you doing? That's the weirdest choice in the world. Yeah. Um, but but he's entered this bizarre phase of his career where like he all his movies are. I am the old man version of the thing I was in the seventies or eighties, <laughs> teaching a younger version of me to yes. do something. Because that's what Dem- like he's, he's not going to be the action star in Demolition Man. He's going to be. Tr- he's, he's, they're going to find. All right, here's my here's my theory. Like time travel is probably going to be involved. He's going to oh, like yeah. go back and find like younger him, like younger than even he was an original Demolition Man. Do something. Uh, I don't know if Wesley Snipes is still in prison or not. I'm not sure. No, he's he out. He's out. He, well, he's, he's in. Out. He was in. Uh, he was in. My name is Dolomite. Oh, that's right. Oh, how could I forget that? Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm just the thing about Demolition Man is like I like Demolition Man. It, like I like cheesy, I crummy lo- sci-fi. I love it. Action things. It's a it's a great bad movie. It, like it is like I would not consider it a good movie, but it's a great movie of what it is. Um, but 
to me, the I don't know why this movie came came to mind when I saw that that was there. Uh, especially specifically, people are like, "Oh, you shouldn't remake things if they're already good." And I'm like, "Demolition Man wasn't necessarily the thing I'd call good and worthy of remake or sequel fodder kind of thing." No, to not me, even. To me, the movie to me the movie that jumped out the most when I heard is like Demolition Man's coming back. Do you remember the remake of Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3? Yeah, with, with John, John Travolta? Travolta. Yeah. Okay. And when I heard about... Because, okay, John Travolta and Denzel thing, Washington, right? It's the subway train. I, was it Denzel Washington? All I knew was John Travolta. Um, yeah, because he's, he's the conductor, or the guy who's oh running God, the trains, is. whatever that job is. Oh, uh, no. Uh, anyway, I never saw it. Yeah. But the thing is that I, when I, I, I've seen and loved the original Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, which is like a 70s... It's like Walter Matthau is the lead and it's like, it's a seventies like heist movie. And like, they're built on tension and like stuff like that and small space crap. And it's, it's fascinating. And interesting. It's got a great score. Yada, yada. Um, but it was in like the early seventies and it has like a mini tiny eensy cult following. Like only people who give a crap about it know about it. Yeah. Like, and it's very small. I'll agree. But it's, but they're not like, yeah, it's a paltry, like paltry, but rabid fan base of people like, Oh yeah, it's a great movie. You should see it. The end. Uh, when they announced, oh yeah, we're remaking Tangibellum 1, 2, 3, it's going to be a generic mid-2000s action movie, John Travolta is going to be in it for some inexplicable reason, all you have is like 98% of the populace going, what? Like, why would you do that? And the 2% that know Taking the Pelham 1, 2, 3 are like, fuck you! Like, yeah. <laughs> you appeal to no one! I totally and know, so yeah, okay. I, that's what I thought, I'm like, okay, Demolition Man fans are going to be like, what? Like, because I would say that I like Stallone in ways, but I like his cheesy, crazy things. Like Cobra is my favorite. Oh, movie, dude! I was just gonna. gonna as soon as you like, said that he's just, it's like, okay, what do I do? Well, I'm gonna do what Hollywood's doing. I'm gonna take all my movies, and you're exactly right. Be the geriatric version of the character, which is great because that's what a sequel kind of is. What you want in a sequel, you want to see growth, you want to see change, you want to see them visit yeah. their older selves, right? Like those those things are great, but like these are not characters deserving of later in life. No, like not I don't at care. All. I, I I watched the I watched Creed two just because of my love of Rocky three, right? So yeah. the only credit we're giving him in making a sequel is we loved why it was so cheesy and so silly. Like it was. It was an unwanted thing to begin with, but I think it falls in line with his dread, Judge Dread, definitely. Mm. Like, like when he tried to go cheesy sci-fi from straight-up action, I, I just there's they're bad, but I'm glad. Like, I'm glad someone's like, here's enough money to make a sequel because there's so many things you want to see. I, I'm so I, I'm curious, and I'm like, go for it, like whatever. I don't really care, but at the same point, I'm like. I don't even know if you know why your movies were good in the first place. <laughs> like, I, like it's really hard to tell. Cause I'm like, okay, the moment I hear demolition man, like sequel or, or like anything like that, I'm like, okay, all it's giving me. And it's also gonna be flashbacks to like the first trailer for the total recall, uh, uh remake with Colin Farrell. Uh, and like, literally I'm like, Oh, they're making a remake of total recall. I wonder if they're gonna have the three boot lady in it. And literally within like 10 seconds, he runs into her on the street. I'm like, okay, so how long is it going to be till we hear about the seashells? Yes. How long is it going to be? So like, like, you're just going to retrod what's the wh- weird notable things about this movie. And it's just going to, that's all it's going to, I can't foresee anything original coming from this. No. And like, you know what? Cause there's nothing, there was no real meat to the movie in the first place. It was just cause it was weird and stupid and crazy. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here's, here's the only thing that's really interesting about all the things that I was, we 
were reading about this and Dr. Cocteau, Cocteau, I think it's Cocteau, not Cocteau. Cocteau. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Whatever. Dr. Dr. Tucock. <laughs> He he was the architect in the new society, right? The Be Well Society and the everybody, you know, you have been fined 1,000 credits for, you know, wrongful language, right? So yeah, yeah. I think what they're going with is the storyline could see a call for Cocteau's Utopian vision to be reestablished following an outbreak of crime. I think because mm. now that the society, this, his his dream for society kind of fell in that first movie and everybody was like allowed to be themselves, I think crime will rise up again like they say and then that's why he'll come out of retirement right he'll be an aging demolition (laughs) but but here's the real question okay like i don't really think i'm excited for the script i'm excited for the characters now that the majority of them had some pretty substantial careers do you bring back snipes bullock rob schneider alongside Schwart, uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone. Sorry, they they overlap a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you bring like do they, please come back? I want to see Sandra Bullock come back so badly. Oh uh, yeah, she so doesn't have to, but might, and that's kind of funny. I feel that- there's one person. There's one person, and just because I'm a little bit of a nerd about Demolition Man, that I think would be funny. One person I want to come back and to have a substantial role, Jack Black. Because Jack Black's very first credit was an un... He had no lines, and he was standing behind Dennis Leary while Dennis Leary was talking mess. He was one of his underlings. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was like... Kind of like Bill like Paxton 19, and Terminator. It was like yeah. 1994. And like it was, I think it is his very first <laughs> on-screen credit. And I would love it if he's like, yeah, I'm here now. I've always been here. Or, and, if he was, and also, if he doesn't say anything. He's either a yeah. major character this time, or it's still just like, yep, yeah, still here. Yes. <laughs> like, like That would be great. That would be great. And if that happened, I would be... I'm almost forgiven. <laughs> There's so much fun that can happen, not because of a story. I don't give it. We don't give a shit about the story. We just want to see the actors because they all went on. Like, it's not like, you know, if you brought back some of these people, you're only bringing them back because it makes sense to the story. But yes, it makes yeah. sense to the story. And also Sandra Bullock is a fucking force, right? Rob Schneider I, I, went on to be. Andy, Andy, Andy Samberg, Andy Samberg and Adam Sandler. Here I go again. And it's not because they're both Jewish, but like I it's just there's that pairing there, I guess, is what I'm saying. And it would work really well. Yeah. And I'm also like a fan of uh, canon breaking sequels to movies or whatever. Just like, who cares? Throw it all out. Like, I I am a personal big fan of the Crank franchise. Okay. (laughs) I know know they're bad. I know they're bad. But they're fun. They're fun. But they're fun. And the second Crank movie was shot with, like, consumer-grade DSLRs and was just like, screw it, throw everything out. (laughs) Everything we did in the first movie, who cares? And it's like this bring back characters for no reason just like throw things around people die but they don't die and like heads in jars and crap like it's like who cares because that's more fun if you went full bore we're not even adding a shred of believability to demolition man 2 no cool you don't have to yeah because you don't have to and you know what given the state of our world and all the things going on I don't think that's a terrible idea to literally have, hey, guess what we're trying to do a resurgence of? Escapism, dumbass action movies. Yes, like exactly. And you know what? Like, like look, uh, movies can tell great stories and mean great things and tell wonderful things, and that's beautiful. But every now and again, you want a piece of crap. <laughs> you want a glorious 
dumbass movie. And you know what? No one's going to fault you if it's like, okay, it costs like $50 million to make. Like not, not I say $50 million, like it's nothing, but in Hollywood terms, yeah. it is. It's Just like peanuts, do yeah. something like, like don't go, don't, don't make it look like Transformers. Like, don't do anything. Yeah, don't no. add a million CGI. Make it look like the first practical effects, man, which like, today yes. would be hilarious. Oh God, because you have all of this technology at your disposal, and you're like, no, we're making Demolition Man two the way we made Demolition Man one. So break out well, the like film. back lots in like, the middle in the middle of the night. Right? <laughs> <And> <laughs> like, like, just empty Taco Bells and just go crazy. What would be? I would love to see like like a like a you know, In and Out Burger. Is like you know like yeah. like adapt the times because obviously it what it was poking fun of the future in the nineties because mm-hmm. this is what the future was going to be and I'm so glad I you know I have a bidet and I have toilet paper uh, and yeah. I'm and I'm glad that the future did not bring three seashells which like I mean the only thing one can ever assume is that you scrape your ass with the seashell like that is the only place my brain goes when I think of the seashells. <laughs> There's been a lot of (laughs) back when I cared more about things like this, I would read things like, how did that actually work? (laughs) People were like posting their theories and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, that this was never supposed to actually be whatever. Who cares? But But they have to answer that question. It's a dumb device. They have to answer that question because that's the only that's the only unanswered question that literally anyone buying ticket to Demolition Man two. I don't want to know. I do not want to know how life on planet Earth ends. I want to know what the three seashells are for. Like three wishes. One of them is genie. What the fuck were the three seashells for? I need that is absolution for me. You know, it'd be hilarious. It's just people get upset about it. Like, you know, the, the Star Wars prequels, like midichlorians. Like, oh, it'd be like yeah, something that yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And like, people just get mad about it. Like, you've never cared about it in the first place. Whatever. Or like Sandra Bullock's um, like, like she interrupts him and, he, and he's like going to the bathroom or whatever. And like the, the seat, like obviously there's a shot to the seashells in the washroom. Like, oh, they're still around. And then she goes to the washroom and comes out and she's like, what are you doing with those seashells? That was a joke. <laughs> Yeah, I can't yeah. believe you, you bought that. Really? We were just kidding. <laughs> Might be the future, but we still have a sense of humor. You done? We were totally fucking around with you. <laughs> Why would it even be three? It would be two, like castanets. Like it wouldn't even matter <laughs> if you were ever going to do it. That's why. That's what I was. I was like, why three? <laughs> like, what? How do you even manipulate a third one with like your ring finger? <laughs> I uh, I anyway. refuse to say if movie theaters open up. I I am saying when movie theaters open up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely drive-ins. Going to drive ins. Yes, drive ins. Yeah, no, <laughs> they were confirmed in Winnipeg they could open, which is super cool. I mean, it's mm-hmm. honestly if you're allowed to drive and you can there, go buy your own snacks. I mean, like, there's one in my old hometown in Oakville, or I guess it's in the outskirts. It's called the Five Drive-In. Uh, still open, flourishing. My my buddy tells me, like, yeah, they're packed every day. It and blows they're, my they're, mind. They're, keep, they're keeping they're keeping the rules. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing like, you know, they'll. They'll play whatever's happening now, but they'll also be like, yeah, we're playing like E.T. in Jurassic Park, and people are coming out like crazy. It's like, oh, that's, that's awesome. And I'm like, I, yeah, uh, do it. And I'm like, do it in the parking lot of Polo Park. Yeah. <laughs> just seriously, put up a screen the, of the, of the theater. Yeah, just do it on the side. Of, you've got a giant-ass building. Just put it there. <laughs> um, I we I want to give a shout-out to, uh, if, you're, if you're listening, shout-out to the Stardust Drive-In, because that's the one I go to in Morden um, every ah, summer, cool. two or three times a year, which is going to be crazy. Like, I I would do a lot 
Um, if anybody in Morden listens to the show and they're like, Hey, I know the people at the Stardust Drive-In, um, I will put, I will talk, I will, you can sponsor this show to let us come to the drive-in this summer. Okay. You can, if the podcast is always allowed into the drive-in, I will sponsor you for free. That is 100% on the record right now. <laughs> I have, I have beautiful, like I, because that drive-in existed there, like I, was going to the drive-in like long after they had fallen out of Vogue. Like I remember seeing like Team America in the drive-in. Yeah, but like no, that they're... era, you know, like, like uh, still into the two thousands, well into the two thousands, like with friends and stuff. And like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind that coming back at all. It's it's a really it's a fun way to watch movies. It's just a fun way to experience it because you can you can make fun of it and you can enjoy it like how how you would enjoy a movie at home, but in a more public like you get the best of both worlds as far as I'm concerned. Uh, with a drive-in, it's I really. Agree. It's, I want them to come back. It, I want them to come back and stay, not just not just for what's happening now, but just be like, yeah, they were a good idea. <laughs> I don't know why they kind of. I guess home video and all that, and yada yada yada. But who cares? Like, no, we were right the first time. Bring them back. <laughs> concur, doctor. I concur. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's uh, let's move on to the whole point of today, which is another geek fest um, titled working title dead but not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the one I did with Rob is uh, Director Centerfold. I was trying to think of doing it like a Playboy model, you know, where you get like the stats uh, and all that stuff. But it, it, it's still like, like, like I said, it's a working title. So it's obviously a work sure, in progress. Sure. Um, but uh, just kind of getting to know you and Danielle and Dan, I having done this for so long with Chris and everybody, I was like, okay, so what does everybody really like about what's in their movie life, what they like watching, what they, who they like watching on the screen. So I asked you who are some of your favorite actors and then I just make it. So I'm like, okay, I love, I realize this about why I'm so bad at ever doing a review for a movie. I love them all. Mm. That is, that is my downfall as a person who watches. I'm not objective enough to be like, that's a piece of shit because (laughs) I know, like, I guess I don't know where I, I don't know why I know it, but I just think that people who put together a bad documentary or a shitty comedy or really awkward drama, whatever, that just doesn't make you happy. I mean, there is a point to it and skill level doesn't necessarily dictate that you can't pull something from the movie. So and and, uh, and for two reasons, too. Uh, one, if you're going to do a podcast, you realize that like non-negativity doesn't get attention. Number two, uh, it, man, back to that. Number two, um, I, I've watched enough and I've like, I've owned a video camera since 2005 and I've, I've made, I've tried to make things and, and have made things and made things with friends. I know why things that are bad are bad. Like I, I, I can understand that. And if I see like a really poorly produced like documentary or movie or comedy or something like that, I can see what they were trying to do. Yes. And I see why it went wrong. And I don't need to reiterate that point over and over again or be mad at them about it. I'm like, oh, I understand what happened there. There's too many cooks. There's like two, there's like four credited yeah. directors. Or there's, yeah. Oh, it was like, yeah, okay. Like it fell apart and that's okay. And you released the movie to recruit some money. And what are you going to do? Admit that you screwed up? No, of course not. No. Uh, you're, you're or not. it's completely, or like, I can't be surprised when like my, <laughs> I used to see every movie that came out uh, in the mid 2000s on Friday nights, no matter what. And the, the straw that broke the camel's back where I stopped doing that was fantastic Four two Rise of the Silver <laughs> And I yeah, saw that and it was that absolute stopped garbage. A lot and of my friends and I were, oh yeah, my friends and I were leaving and I was like, let's be a little bit more discerning from here on out. Like we knew this was going to suck and we knew it was going to suck in the way that the worst kind of suck is where it's like a solid, like 
4.9 average of like it's it's bad but it's not even so bad that i can find joy in mocking it bad it's just ugh, it's just it's just a bowl of broth like there's no meat to this soup you know so i i now feel like okay if i see something that it doesn't work and I'm like yeah i don't need to mock it that badly and when i see something i actually appreciate i'm like oh I appreciate it on a different level slightly because I'm like, I want to like things more. So when I genuinely do, it feels better. So Exactly. Yeah. And you and you try instead of just being like, well, I wasted an hour and a half to two and a half hours of my life. You know, you just you, you, you look for the good, even though it, it is you can admit that it's obviously bad, but you know why, because I guess <laughs> cinephiles and film nerds and, and movie addicts, whatever name you want to give yourself, that's what you love. Right. You love it all of it, not just the story on the screen, right? You look at the cinematography and the lighting and all that shit. Yeah, and this, also, coming from a guy, when you asked me for, like, my things about movies I like, one of the top things I recommended was, like, terrible, terrible movies that I can watch <laughs> and enjoy. Yeah. That, like, that's a totally different thing, right? Like, I remember hearing it once on a podcast of, like, a gradient scale of, like, 0 to 10. Like, 10 being a great movie that you love because it's great. 5 being, like, uh, this is boring and sucks because there's nothing really to grasp onto here. And 0 being, this is amazing, this is shit. Where you're, like, I love that all the wrong choices were made. I love how bonkers this is. Like, I can see that there's, like, a, a, a twisted vision behind this that didn't get fully realized, but it's fascinating. Like, that yes. I love as well, too. But, like, boring and bad and like eh, and like all that like there's a lot of movies that come out where i'm like i just don't feel a spark to see it because i don't see anything in it that like really grabs me and i'm like well then i'm not going to see it to hate that because that's like actual like disappointment like i don't want to be disappointed i want to be impressed by how bad it is and if it's not impressively bad i don't i'm not gonna i, I I'll, I'll wait it out i'll wait it out agreed what others say. so yeah. um when you gave me your list, <laughs> it was, it was... <laughs> that was a tangent. Actually, we were, <laughs> yeah. we're, too. we're on that so, tangent. Uh... <laughs> Who cares? Let's talk about the guys we were talking about. Um, so when you gave me your list, it was pretty easy to figure out that I was like, okay, out of all of this, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman the most. So mm -hmm. uh, the premise behind this whole entire thing really is to remember and talk about and put back and forth why you might think this is one of his better performances than that performance, which is our whole, you know, debate aspect and, and just kind of suss out our, our love for the man, Mr. Philip Seymour Hoffman and the whole dead, but not thing is no matter what, I mean, yeah, super sad at 45 to go the way he did, but he lives on, right? Like roles live Definitely. on great roles really live on. And, a scene stealer like this guy kind of needs needs somebody, right? So if nobody's doing it this week, it's us. Uh, so with that said, the whole premise of this was we did six movies. You got two. I got two. We did one random draw where I just put a bunch in a randomizer and this came up. And then we got to pay homage and honor to the one that was filmed in Winnipeg because that would just be ignorant. Of course. Right? So, yeah, the, um, moment you, the moment you said his name, anyone in Winnipeg listening, I was like, are they going to talk about it? Are they going to talk about it? Are they, they think they're such film they buffs? They, yeah, yeah. I knew a guy who was in it. I knew a guy. <laughs> like, like, I know everyone I know. It's like it's like two degrees of separation of either being in it or knowing someone who worked on it because that and assassination of Jesse James. Yes. <laughs> like everybody I know. Well, there's some uh, there's some small tier connection to that. Capote's like our Jaws, where like Amityville <laughs> really got involved in the film and people. I mean, mind you, it was because they broke a mechanical shark and they couldn't fix it for half the movie. But still, like, mm. 
the length of time that they were in Amityville, the lady who who smacks Brody is isn't an actress. She was just the lady in Amityville that the crew got to know. So you can't yep. not talk about you know that that big and that was after Jennifer Lopez and Richard Gere did Shall We Dance. So I mean, like, yeah, way thank better. God for Capote, so we yeah. don't have to keep talking about <laughs> Shall We Dance. <laughs> right. So yeah. um, being a guest. Uh, which you are because uh, I'm interviewing you, so to speak. Um, I, I've noticed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you go first. So I'm just going to give the uh, the bullet points here, the the meat, and you can fill in with the potatoes here. Your first pick was one I just finished watching in the background for inspiration, was Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, yes. Directed by Mike Nichols, written by, which I didn't fucking know, Aaron fucking Sorkin. Like that's... Yeah. Which now I know why it's so quippy and so smart and so quick, right? Like, it, and here's here's the thing. I will say this as well too. I love Charlie Wilson's War. I real I like I. It, it's one of those movies that like is not really on the uh, top tier of any of the main three actors in it. I don't think. Like, if you say that move, like if you say either of those, uh, Tom Hanks, um, Ju- uh, Julia Roberts, or Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's probably not the first one you think of for any of them. No, uh, not at all. But. It is the ensemble cast kind of period piece thing that I love, which is it's not so period piecey that it probably costs a lot of money to make. It's like, okay, it was made in the mid 2000s to be the mid 80s. Exactly. Or the late 80s. Yeah. Late, and late it's like, 80s, yeah. okay, that was just long enough ago where we could do a period piece on it and be like, oh, well, we don't really need to do too much different. <laughs> like, yeah, like it's not. Slight, slight costume changes, slight, you know, thing like noticeable details of like okay all the computers are very old and typewriters it's set it's set continuity for sure but nothing that is not not game of thrones time period piece for sure yeah and Um, and it's also it's the kind of singular story that can be told in two hours with actors who are fantastic that i think makes that that is what aaron sorkin should have always been doing because i really don't like the west wing (laughs) because it's just like these people wouldn't exist all the time, every day in this way. I don't find it like a quippy dialogue is great. And it's, it's great for sound bites and actors love the crap out of it. I'm sure. Um, but to me, it doesn't have the kind of resonancy that like a singular story in a movie kind of format would, which totally, is why I'm yeah. like, Oh, this is great. I love this. It tells a story front to back. I understand it. And we understand the ramifications of what this story tells when it's all done and all that kind of thing. And the three mains are fantastic. And Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie is like, by that point, he had already been kind of, he had kind of already established his reputation. Like, well, here, let me just killer. for, just for those out there who are like Charlie Wilson's war. And I'm like, I yeah. don't know how many of oh, you yeah, are, expl- but yeah, some, you explain it, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't assume everybody's seen the amazing taste we have. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> just, obscure, it almost kind of just fell off. Cause it's like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. Like they got nominated, like you got nominated for best supporting actor for it. So, yeah. Which it's, yeah. But just for, yeah, for those who, who have never seen uh, drama based on a Texas Congressman, Charlie Wilson, uh, his covert dealings in Afghanistan during the cold war were his efforts to assist rebels in their way with the Soviets have some unforeseen and long reaching effects. So for historical backdrop, um, during the late eighties before the rise and fall of communism in Russia, um, the, the Afghanis were being invaded by the Russians and it's the story of a Texas billionaire, a politician and a CIA agent who all throw a covert war in Afghanistan's hands and defeat the Russians. 
Yeah. Uh, which, if you uh, if you know a little bit more about your history, in a roundabout way, led to nine eleven. Yes, uh, but yeah. this, is a happy, this is a happy comedy. <laughs> the, the wacky office comedy that led to that, it, but they don't go that far. Yeah, like, they, like the end of the movie has tells the grim reality of of the aftermath of something like this. Um, I won't spoil the movie. Well, I kind of did, but yeah, whatever. fuck it. Spoilers uh, aside, it's been around. <laughs> Spoiler: nine yeah. eleven happens, not in the movie. Um, because it ends in the eighties. Here's um, here's the question, but, though. What is it about Gus? And I can't stay. Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh, character, Gus uh, As- Av- Avrakotos. Avrakotos. I believe, like, I believe is that? it's Avrakotos. Okay. I believe it's Gus Avrakotos. Yeah. What is Greek. it about his character? And his portrayal of that, because there's a lot, we got a lot to unpack for that one. So what is it? Well, what it is about him is when you picture like at at that point in like filmmaking or in like stories about the CIA, because he plays a CIA. uh, I think a lot of people had specific ideas of what that kind of person would be. And like he, he plays a spy and what, you know, there's all the connotations of like, oh, there's like the James Bond desk, like, ooh, covert, sexy spy. But then there's also what people kind of know <laughs> about the CIA of like, okay, like George, like the first George George Bush was like the director. So it's like stuffy, angry dudes who are like megalomaniacal and like evil and all that. And uh, Gus is just a guy with a job who's really good at his job. And yeah. he's tired and angry at the incompetence around him. And he knows how to get things done and he can see potential and he can see stupidity. And, and it's just, I, I, it's weird to say about a character like this. He is the coolest dude. Oh, he's so <laughs> like, smooth. I, he's so smooth. Even when he's losing his mind and like, okay, the first scene of him in this movie <laughs> is, is, Hands down, and I know we're probably going to talk to this about the end, and I'll, I'll skip ahead to like one of my favorite, like yes. getting into quotes later. But there is a quote in this that is my, one of my favorite quotes of all time, uh, and it's like a five-minute scene. Go find it on YouTube, where his his boss or his new boss is telling him that he doesn't get an assignment to go to Helsinki to be like a, an agent there, and he's losing his mind on him because like he was made, he was given this guarantee of being this. And finally, through this argument, he realized, like, oh, I know why you didn't give it to me because you're having sex with that guy's wife, and I know about it. Like, I'm not <laughs> even going to dignify that. He's like, yeah, and he starts giving more details, and he's like, starts going off on how like they fired a whole bunch of you know agents who were first generation Americans for questioning their like loyalty and all yep. that. And then finally, he like breaks the guy's window, and like that, the the righteous anger he has of winning this argument and he knows he won this argument even though he flipped out and broke the guy's window he he goes like like my loyalty is like like people have been tr- like for 25 years people have been trying to kill me people that know how and you think that's because my father was a greek soda pop maker or because i'm an american fucking spy so fuck <laughs> yourself you fucking child and he walks away yep and then as he walks away <laughs> he goes to a receptionist lady and like he's, he's he was screaming his head off just two seconds ago and as he's walking away he looks at the receptionist and he goes how'd I do? She just gives him a thumbs up and he smiles and walks away. Cause he knows like, Oh no, I got to be angry. I wasn't angry. I got to be angry. And that line, like, do you think it's because of my father was a Greek soap maker? Cause I'm American. I go fuck yourself. You fucking child. That, in the few times yeah. in my life where I've actually gotten into a real fight with someone, like an argument or a fight. And granted, this is like four times over the past 15 years. And it's usually like a drunk guy on the street. 
I have yelled, go fuck yourself, you fucking child, because that has embedded itself in my mind as <laughs> totally. the perfect thing to yell at someone. Like, a guy almost knocked me off my bike while I was biking once. Like, he tried to shove me into the road on Portage, and I yelled at him from a distance, and the last thing I yelled was, go fuck yourself, you fucking child. And he looked so shocked and taken aback, he had nothing to say, and I'm like, wow, it works. <laughs> like, I'm like, that anger acting was something Philip Seymour Hoffman was fantastic at. He, he really when was. We talk about another movie later. We'll get to that too yes. about uh, <laughs> Punch Drunk Love. I think we'll talk about that. Um, but there was that scene where it's like that's the first scene you see him, and you're like, "Holy crap! <laughs> I love this guy. I love this character." And I'm like, "I want to see this guy for the rest of the movie." And thankfully, you do. Uh, and yeah, he's he's just the most competent person in the movie, and he's like a weird, wise sensei of covert operations. His and his yeah. his abilities um first like when you i when you get I'm, I'm imagining when you get that page and you're like gus overreacts to station chief station chief and gus get into a fight like that's his mm-hmm. that's his note right so right to convey like to to walk in and go like how do you want me to play this i mean there's obviously conversation between actor and but i mean that that is very right out of the gate and and you're right like when you say channeling the anger and mm-hmm. and knowing how to like explode off the line in your opening scene you know like your character is at a 10 right off the hop so right you're speaking to his you're you know and I think that's his theater I think having grown up in the theater it, before getting major film roles has a lot to do because it's live it's there there's a there's a thing that I was that I found out about him. Um, him and John C. Riley did a play together. Um, oh. What was it here? Uh, fellow Anderson regular John C. Riley. Uh, different brothers in Sam Shepard's True West, and both oh, of yeah, them. Oh yeah, I'm sure that would have been good. Both of them switched roles every three days from lead to supporting cast. They switched the roles, nice. so they would have to memorize all of the emotions between an exchange, which I think is why he's so strong as you know just intensity and there's there's a there's a fucking bravado that came from him that as a person was so completely opposite yeah that's that's the thing too of like why i love this movie is is because there's a lot of great angry actors you know like you could think of a bunch where you're like oh if you want like a specific person to scream at you in a movie you get you have a certain list of like okay here are the good angry actor people for some reason rip torn is coming to mind <laughs> just you know just, or whoever like, yeah people I get who it. can like who can who can portray righteous indignation and all these other things and all that to me what it was necessarily is that that whole scene isn't just for the blow up at the end it's the like no i i like you can tell right from the gate that uh, that Gus does not have respect for this guy. Yes. And that's that's clear the whole way through. He's like, I'm not giving you an inch because you are wrong. We are, like, the moment that, they, like, the, the scene begins under the auspice of, like, uh, one of their friends got them together so that either of them would apologize to one of the others so they could mend an argument they had. And then they realize, oh, wait, we've both been tricked and neither of us is going to apologize. And, need, and like... Philip Seymour Hoffman is like the one who's like, I'm not backing down at all. No, I'm like, let's continue the argument we had before when I broke your window the first time because you were wrong and I'm not going to let that go. So it's, it's, it's that level that begins and then gets angry when he like realizes like, Oh, you like, not only do you not have a leg to stand on, like I'm going to point out that you're a hypocrite now too. 
I'm going to make it even worse. And I'm going to, I'm going to build it. And I'm not, and I'm so not wrong this whole time that like, even though I'm building and building and making this memorable for you, when it's all done and I walk away and I go by that receptionist and be like, that was I, it's like, yeah, no, that wasn't like, I didn't fly off the handle. I was right the whole time, which is different than just being an angry guy. To me, that's like, okay, he, he, and credit to Aaron Sorkin because I'm sure that's how it was written, but I don't know if another actor could really pull that off in that way where I'm like, this whole time you're like, I am a million percent behind you. Like, even though there's arguments to be had here and like it's painted as one way or another, I'm like, you're right. And if you've ever been in an argument and you know you're <laughs> right, yeah. you know you're right and you know you're going to win. Even if they don't say you win, you know you won. Like, I very rarely see that happen that much in a movie where it's like that. Like, And granted, he's great in the whole movie. And like the, the, the last scene he's in, too, is fantastic as well, too, I think, with him and Tom Hanks. Um, I don't know why I want to dwell on this one particular, but it's the first scene you see of him in the movie. And it's so striking. And you're with him the whole way through where he's talking to Tom Hanks and, you know, he's bugging. Like, oh yeah. He's bug- like he the theory bugs the bugs whiskey in the office. Yeah, or I was just going to say that. Yeah. that like fantastic moments throughout there. And like the last, the last scene he's in too, which is also very much a like, listen to me, pay attention. Like the dire warning at the end of the happy ending scene where he's on the balcony with Tom Hanks and he's giving that, I, I might butcher it a little bit, but like he's, he's giving like the old fable of like the old man, like saying like, oh, we'll see, of like, oh, this good thing yes, happened to me. It's like, yeah. like the old man goes like, oh, well, we'll see. It's like, oh, he broke his leg. That's terrible. Like, oh, we'll see. And like, all, and like, oh, because he broke his leg, he didn't have to go to war. So he saved his leg. Like, oh, we'll see. And all that. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, you're, you're ruining this. And he's like, no, it's like, you have to listen to me. This isn't the end. Even though our operations are done this is not over and like making sure he understands that because it's like, okay, we were good friends and we did a great thing. And this is really awesome. Why aren't you happy? And it's like, cause it's not over. And it's, and even though we are done, it is not done. And it's like that, the way he, he got that across too, of just being like, listen to me. Like, like it, for a guy who was very good at playing meek characters in my next movie, we'll talk about like playing a, very <laughs> meek, a meek person. The fact that he can go so far as like, yeah, I, I refuse to be ignored. I refuse to be overlooked. And like, as a character, yes, but as an actor as well too. It was like you could not ignore him ever. No, it was impossible to overlook how he commanded that 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 stuff. And any other actor in that role, I think you could have. Like it could have been, it could have just been like, yeah, well, I, I gotta be, I gotta yell at Tom Hanks. And just do it. Many <laughs> actors have yelled at Tom Hanks. But he did it in a way where I'm like, oh, Tom Hanks, like, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's. Uh, yeah. let, speaking of of other items on the list here, um, I'm gonna take a stab at something, yeah, and I'm jump, going. Jump it. I'm going definitely scene stealer more than I'm going part of a supporting cast because I went with 2000s almost famous, mm-hmm. Mr. Hoffman's favorite <laughs> famous character, Lester Bangs, the rock writer for for various uh, rock magazines in the movie Almost Famous, which if you haven't seen, I feel so bad for you. But um, (laughs) a brief overview, uh, high school boys given the chance to write a story for Rolling Stone magazine about an up-and-coming band as he accompanies them on their concert tour. We have got Billy Crudup, Patrick Fugit, Kate Hudson, maybe, you know, Goldie Hawn's daughter, uh, Francis McDormand, Jason Lee, 
Zooey Deschanel. I mean, the list goes on. Anna Paquin's in Mark this. Maron briefly. Mark Maron briefly. Yeah. Noah Taylor. <laughs> like, there's this is one of those. I mean, it's Cameron Crowe, right? So, and I think mm-hmm. it's also semi autobiographical in the sense that he was also a writer for either he wrote for a bit or was trying to write. Like, it's his kind of up up and coming story. It's like a fictionalized retelling of his life because it is it is how he got his start. But like, you know, Stillwater's not a bad. Like, you know, like yeah. it's it's semi-fictionalized and like his uh, relationship with Lester I, I believe was similar and I believe a lot of the things that he says in the movie are things that he did say to him in some guise or another but yeah it's like yeah, it's like fan fiction of his own life kind of in a way I, uh, I went with this because it's it's the little things that I found out about him specifically A he was deathly sick with the flu days filming um, like, you can hear it actually now that you say that <laughs> right like there's there's yeah. there's just he, but I mean, that's that's an afterthought. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the the guess who T-shirt was actually Cameron Crowe's T-shirt. And <laughs> what's funny is that he plays an anti-corporate rock writer who's all about the fall of rock and roll in America in the 70s. And yet he, what he brings to it is they had a bunch of corporate made rock T-shirts for him to wear. But he was like, no, like Lester wouldn't wear that. Give me the hand me down. So mm-hmm. it's it's those tiny little things that when he knows that he's not got a lot of screen time, clearly, but when you are on screen, you're paid for a job because there's a story with him and Patrick Fugit. Fugit basically tells him, you know, or admits that while he sat down with him at the coffee table in the diner and, you know, got to know him that he was like, he was out of his element. He was out of his element, Don. Yeah. And uh, so another, <laughs> you see what I did there? Another Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> and, uh, so just noticing that a guy who knows, hey, I'm not part of the major story here, but I'm going to give you as if I was above the line lead cast. And just like I took a lot of inspiration from Almost Famous for a lot of reasons. Like one, everybody wants to be a rock star, right? Obviously. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's from 2000. So I was 18. I was like, the world's my oyster. I'm going to learn guitar. Like, you know, I should have. It's the prime time. 15 yeah. years ago. Um, but he really inspired me to want to be a writer and right. and playing that tenacity in the, and just the snarky, like just how he was like, damn the man, you know, like he really knew mm. what to bring to a rock writer of that time instead of like some hippie stone rock writer, you know, like it, 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 cause rock and roll, he, he just knew, he knew the major bullet points to that role and left everything else out. And, and yeah, and it's, like, it's, it's a he, fucking scene stealer. Like every time it comes back to him throughout the movie, I, I'm like, yes, I want give me more of this. I love I love him in that movie and and the dichotomy of that character of him being the coolest guy in that movie. Yes, I think. And having <laughs> the scene where he's on the phone with him saying we're not cool. <laughs> yeah. Being like, no, we are. We are not rock stars. Like, why are you? Why can you always get me at home? Is it because I'm always at home? Cause like, yeah, cause I don't <laughs> yes. go anywhere. Like, like, cause like, no, like, that's, like, he's like, we're not cool. We're, we're just like the, we're, we're here to take them we're down. The real people who appreciate this. We're yeah. real people. Yeah. And we, that's why our opinion matters and why that's real. People will read what we write and, and learn and, and do all that kind of stuff. So there's that dichotomy of like a guy loving rock and roll to the degree where he wants it to be real. And he wants it to be pure and he thinks he's dead. He already thinks it's like, well, you're going to like, you're going to be here for the death rows of it. So that's cool, I guess. And just like reading and like you're, you're out of your element and all this other stuff and, and all that. But 
the be the fatalism of it, but also like it is weird, which when you grow into adulthood and you see that in people or like you, you almost kind of hope it was this weird fatalism, optimism, yin yang thing of being like, yeah, I love this stuff and I want it to be there, but like, I'm never going to be the rock star. I know that I'm not going to lament that. I'm not going to delude myself into thinking I can be. And if I do delude myself into thinking I can be, I'm going to, I'm only going to make things worse because if people listen to me and they just take it off and, you know, they start listening to the doors and they realize how much the doors suck. We don't need like 10 more bands to sound like the doors, you know, like, 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 no, for the greater good, I need to be a curmudgeon asshole about this. Yes. Like, I and that's to, like, it, that's what's so vital to that role because it's it, the, the job of that. Like he, he knows how short of a window he has and understands mm-hmm. what you need to orchestrate. And there's a, what you're saying. There's a lot there, but it's all conveyed in like three scenes four maybe. Yeah. Right. Like one I, of them, I, he's on I, the phone. So he's not even like there. Like, it's... To, like to 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 because I've seen it, but I hadn't watched it in a while to so, like refresh myself. I'm like, oh, I should like look up on like I think like his collective time in the movie is less than like, seven minutes. Yeah, like he's, he's, he's not ever right? like he's I, there was like a compilation on YouTube with, like all his scenes. Yeah, it's not very much. Uh, but every time he shows up, I'm like ah, Lester's back. <laughs> I'm yes. happy to see him again. Thank you, um, fucking Lester. Yeah, exactly. And to me, for for what it is like. Seeing the movie when I saw it, I forget when I first saw it, probably around like 2005. Like I didn't see it when it first came out. I saw it a little later. Uh, I was about 20 and I was working in a record store at the time and be like, I loved it. It was, it was fantastic. And then as I got older and I, I started entering into like other like musical scenes and seeing stuff and I, I realized the, the glorious phenomenon of the gatekeeper. Uh, gatekeepers in musical scenes or even like any like art scene or whatever just like people who are kind of dicks uh <laughs> but you kind of have to realize yep, why they're being dicks and there's different kinds of dicks there's dicks who are literally like you're not cool i hate you you're not you're not real punk you're not metal you're not you know like you're in comedy like you're not funny or you're whatever like all these people are just kind of assholes to you and some of them are just being assholes and some of them are assholes because they want you to understand why you're doing it in the first place they want you to, they want yeah. you to have a greater appreciation or maybe they can see in you that you do have that appreciation and that you can grow and be special and be unique and add to the and add to this and be better so i'm a dick to you because i want you to understand i don't want this to be easy for you it wasn't easy for me and it, it like the challenge is what's going to make you stronger it's going to make you a better in this case it's going to make you a better writer it's going to make you more honest and yeah, I've had several of those people in my life where I'm like, oh, I understand why you were so hard on me or, or why you why you didn't sugarcoat any of this for me. And those are important people in, in scenes well, like and that. He's he's like that with Patrick Fugit, too. And in, in, in the story that he tells, he's very he, he didn't pull any punches. Right. It was like, you're a young actor. I'm not going to personally, I'm not going to make it easy for you. We're, we're going to be frank about this instead of yeah. me holding your hand. So it's it's an on and off screen with him, for sure. I, get, yeah. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, because in those scenes, like he's he's blowing Patrick Fugit out of the water. But he knows, like, you are the main, you are pretty much the main of this movie, though. Yes, so, like, so I can't overshadow you, you too you much. You have to grow through this movie. I Like, he, and in that movie, doesn't necessarily grow. You don't really learn, he doesn't evolve too much as a character. He is, like, a kind of, like, pop in, learn learn from him, go back to the movie again kind of yeah his, kind his, of mode. Uh, his obi-wan kenobi so to speak pretty much yeah <laughs> um, and uh 
so he's like, yeah, like I'm like, I think in an actor sense, he's like, yeah, follow, follow my lead. And by the end of the movie, you should have like, you think Patrick Fugit's a better actor by the end of the movie than you do at the beginning of the movie. I'll say that probably much. Probably like, all to do with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Probably. Like, <laughs> well, so it's like, that's a little, there's a little bit of both in there where it's like, oh yeah, like if, if the, if the character is learning something throughout it, I think literally the actor did as well. <laughs> let's, cool. uh, let's continue our journey here through, uh, through mm-hmm. his career. Um, you went with his, your next pick was one of his, his breakout role really like where he really got I a lot so, of variety. Yeah. And again, it's, it's kind of playing in theme with scene stealing and not be, and like what, well, first of all, it's boogie nights written, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, let me take a big deep breath here. Um, Mark Wahlberg, <gasps> Julian Moore, <laughs> Burt Reynolds, Don Cheadle, Luis Guzman, John C. Riley, Heather Graham, William H. Macy, and the point of this whole entire fucking long list, Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. Uh, short line, I mean... If long you, story short, everyone. <laughs> yeah, everyone. Everyone who wasn't working that day. I love those movies. Uh, yeah. The story of a young man's adventures in the California pornography, California pornography industry of the late 1970s and early 1980s, which, um, I mean, one could say it's based off of, who was that? Uh, John Holmes. Very loosely based on a John Holmes Pretty, kind of life. Yeah, a lot of it is based on the life of John right. Holmes. And a lot of it is also, like, not autobiographical, but I believe Paul Thomas Anderson grew up in Los Angeles somewhat peripherally around, like, people in the pornography industry. So it's oh. a lot of stories and things that he had heard and he had, he'd known, and people he had known. So, oh, that's as like a young person. That's so, which he's, is kind of interesting. he's the meta director, right? He's like the obviously that's why him and Daniel Day Lewis did so well together. And there will be blood. And it's yeah, still yeah. one of the best fucking movies ever made. But so um, he's got a very small role in this. He he's a he's a hang around. He's a, a sound mm-hmm. guy. Actually, he's a sound guy on set. Um, What's his name? Denny? Scotty. Scotty. That's Scotty. It. Scotty doesn't know. Um, and yeah. <laughs> uh, so he uh, he's basically like super in love with Dirk Diggler. Like he's Dirk Diggler is his is 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 his end all be all. Right. That yeah. would be an easy way to describe his character. That would pretty much be it. Yeah. What is it like? There's a lot to pick from. So I'm just wondering what you like, because I, I, I had to look at the role three or four times and be like, what is it? Why is this so important? But what is it to you? That's that's kind of why I chose it because it's such a fascinating character to me that I I don't know if I've ever seen any movie or any character quite like this in this <laughs> way and portrayed this way. And I don't know exactly know how to describe it. I heard someone just refer to him as just the bad luck guy. Just like every hand he's been handed in life it's just been bad and wrong and he and he and it it, it does it's almost like you feel like there's nothing he could do to change it like even if through through sheer perseverance and person and, and will like he could gain more confidence or he could gain other things or he could feel better about himself it's like you almost feel like it's futile and that's what i kind of see with this guy where he's like he's he's you know he's the sound guy for a porno movie and he's just like he's, he'll do what you tell him to do he, he's, he's reliable he'll always be there and he he wants to be your friend, and you consider him your friend, but he's not really your friend because he's he's kind of a loser. Yeah, and he's like he's he's not he's not a cool guy, and you know like he's at the parties, but like no one's really talking to him. 
or if they are talking to him, they're kind of talking to him like a kid, or they're kind of talking to him like, yeah, whatever. Like, he's hanging out the, with porn stars, and he seems like the biggest dork in the world. He does such and a good job in that in that scene yeah. where he brings him out to the car and wants to show him that he bought the exact same car. And that, just, yeah. just the, the, the sincere hope that Dirk will like him and be like, we're yeah, buddies, he, and I'm friends with just, the... 12 inch dick right like there's so much yeah. riding on it and he does such a great job at being needy and desperate and 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 the thing is that at that point like dirk would have probably been like yeah we're friends he's all right like he's, he's like he doesn't think poorly of him like people like people well, until he like, look him. on him with pity <laughs> if anything but they don't they don't look on him as like i don't like him they're like yeah whatever he's fine like he's He's just there. He's yeah, always there. Totally. And he's, he's, but he's but he's what like he's whatever. He's just a, but he's a nothing person. But when you have that self awareness that you're like I'm a nothing person, that you're there. And of course there is the underlying baseline of the, of that scene and the character as a whole, which is he's in the closet, and he's like because at that like he shows him this car and he's like I just want you to, I just want you to see my car. I want you to like this. Like, yeah, it's cool. And then he goes in for a kiss. And it's like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm really drunk. I don't know, whatever. And then there's the scene like a little bit after that where he's just in the car bawling his eyes out yeah. and just saying, I'm a fucking idiot. I'm and you can tell it's like, I'm a, I'm a fucking, fucking idiot. idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. Like, it's so, so fucking sad. It's like of all of the really, because there's some gut-wrenching moments in that movie. Of, but they're of, silent. Like, believe just... me, and, it's his. It's yeah. it's it's in his body language. It's in like he's reading a character again, where not a lot of lines, but out of a out of a big cast of names, right? Like mm. we know we know most of these people. They all don't have a huge resume, but his his body language and his presence in a scene, his weight, his haircut, like there's. There's a lot of his clothing. Things, his like clothing. His, his clothes never fit him. Like he's like he wants to dress cool, but like he doesn't have the body for it. And yeah, it's like, it's like just the little choices. It's all those little. Made. Yeah, that's all those little choices that he's making. Going like, okay, if if this is what like if this is how I'm going to dress, then dress me two sizes too small because that's going to mm-hmm. tell the audience that you know I just was jerking off to this stuff and now I got a job on set. But I like like there's. <laughs> It's 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 a very silent role that made him very well fucking known. It's it's very I crazy. know it could, because that exact character. This is going to be a, a weird comparison, but think of it this way: Have you ever seen Orgasmo? Uh, Orgasmo. <laughs> the, yeah, the like Trey the, Parker, Matt Stone movie. Okay, yeah, it's, vaguely it's a, it's a remember it. Stupid comedy. Yes, it was from a few years before, and I believe it's uh, Matt Stone plays ostensibly that guy. In a in a screwy stupid comedy where he's just like a, a pervert and a weirdo and like he's just like it's a one note character or and it's played yeah. as a one note character for jokes and it's fine and it is what it is but like that character could have easily been as like oh it's just like okay in the pornography world of course there's just going to be perverted people or like weirdos and things like that and you could play it as just like unsympathetic characters but he is the most sympathetic character but at the same point you're like I don't even know what you could do. Like I like there I, like other like I, you can't just tell someone to have more confidence. You can't tell someone, "Hey man, you're cool. You're gonna be fine," and that's enough for them to be like, you know, straighten up their posture and and, and, and be okay and be happy and and like not feel because like he's just kind of ignored. There's a one shot that always sticks with me with him too, where it thinks like Dirk Diggler wins an award, 
somewhere and they're all in a dais and they're all clapping for him. And Dirk is like slapping the backs of all these people. And, and Sky puts up his <laughs> yes, hand for a yeah. high five and he just completely blows by him. Yeah. Just completely blows by him. And then he just goes, like, yeah, he's just clapping again. It's like, everyone saw that. Everyone saw that. And he knows that. And he's like, yeah, but all right, cool. And I'm like, oh, oh, that stings. And you just feel like it, the, the complete flip of like Gus, where it's like a man of pure confidence. Totally. <laughs> and just like bull, bullying, like like just charging through and doing that. And it's like, I have never like, I he's the most sympathetic character ever because it's like, you know, that under the surface of this, like, like smaller character in this grand story of like, you're learning all about Dirk. You're learning all about Burt Reynolds or, or, or his name. I don't remember. Like all these, all these other characters in a movie where everyone is stealing every scene they're in. To me, he steals it the most because he's the most fascinating because it's like, I kind of have known people like that. In this crazy grand story of like the pornography industry in the seventies, he is the most human character yep. in it to me. Where it's like, I I just I get it in a way. It's like, yeah, man. Sometimes you just get handed a shitty deck, and you're just like, I I want people to be my friend. I just like I don't <clears throat> I don't care if the pornography industry blows up. I don't care if if I become rich, but like I can see that that matters to you guys. So I bought this car and I'm trying to dress like this and I want you to like it's like. All he wants is just people to be like, hey, man, how are you? You're doing good? Cool. That's it. <laughs> yeah. No one does. No. And it's, it's like, that's a, such a simple goal and such a simple want that it's like all of us can relate to that. Like, I don't think any of us can relate to many, any of the other people in, a, in, in some ways. Very grand in a lot of, well, a lot of them I'm sure we can in, in bits and pieces. But him, it's like the most like, wow, that's such a small, it's a small person in a huge world. And it's like I like you can you bond to him like like um, uh, William H Macy like you can bond to that if you've ever like felt the like like the shame of infidelity or things like that or Julianne Moore about trying to get a child and all these things like all this other stuff bouncing around and all these other huge real world people and real world characters but to him for me it's just like man like I don't even know how to fix your problems like because other people are like it's drugs it's money it's fame it's greed it's whatever it's like you it's just like it's in your head. It's all it's all you, and I'm like, that I I think justifiably he became huge after that because it's like how do you deny a character like that? It's incredible. I agree. And the thing is, too, he couldn't be the lead of the movie. No. I don't think any no. either because like the point is he is a small part of the big world. He is an ignored part of a big world. That's the reason he's there is because he's just. Uh, I'm just here. I just exist in this <laughs> world of huge people, and think, I'm nothing. I think he's a little bit of of everybody who watches that movie. I think. I think. We, I think he's so. the most relatable character because I can't relate to a porn star. But um, no, you mentioned it's, it's hard. <laughs> you mentioned something about how we, he goes from confident to like his 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 starting role is not a loud role. His roles get louder as he goes, and I don't know a lot of other people who've seen my second pick, but. Um, it's a movie titled Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which is from 2007, yeah. directed by a very talented director, Sidney Lumet, uh, starring Ethan Hawke, Marissa Tomei, um, Albert Finney, and obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, quick synopsis, two brothers organize the robbery of their parents' jewelry store, and the job goes horribly wrong, uh, triggering a series of events that sends them, their father, and one brother's wife hurtling towards a shattering climax. It's... Aside from his acting in it, it's a really great whodunit. It's a really great, uh, well, actually not so much a whodunit, but uh, 
You know who did it. <laughs> you know, you know who did it. But yeah. it's you're you're watching without throwing too much away. There's a death of a very loved individual and in a plan that goes horribly wrong with the best intentions. That's what it's about. It's something with the best intentions that goes horribly wrong and then just spirals out of control. And he plays the brother who comes up with the idea. And mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke plays the brother who's struggling and is clearly uh, sucked into, hey, if we rob the jewelry store, we can sell the jewels, we'll get paid, parents are insured, everything's okay. And watching him bully and and connive and just go down a road that is, again, like like you like Gust in Charlie Wilson's mm-hmm. War and you feel bad for Scotty in boogie nights but then you walk into your piece of fucking shit yeah like he's a (laughs) cocaine addict and he's lying to his wife about their finances and he's hooking up with a weird drug dealer like it is a very it's got a little bit of film noir to it in in a sense that it's it's just a very dark idea and then and then you you just follow him slowly pushing his brother into a corner that he can't get that he can't back out of and then like blows up with like aggression as soon as it goes wrong like there's there's so much range it's it's all of his skill in one movie with one character but you don't like him yeah i don't like him in that movie no 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 you're, you're not supposed to like he's like maybe you can kind of understand his motivations, but you you do not like him. And you, you understand it's like, there were other ways to, to solve this issue and all the, yeah, he, and just, just this, I feel like he's scowling in every scene. And he's just like, or just, I, I remember my memories of it are like, I remember really liking it. My, my memory of seeing this movie for the first time was actually very interesting because uh, you're right. It's not one of his better known roles. Uh, when I was saying Silver Surfer, this was of the era I was seeing every movie when it came out. Uh, I saw this movie with two friends. We went to the theater, and it was one of those magical occurrences where we were the only people in the theater. <laughs> those are great. It was just the three of us. And the thing is, you want that to happen at a bad movie, <laughs> like like because you're like, yay, can we be like Mr. Science Theater? We could yell out stuff, and no one cared. Uh, and we started kind of <laughs> doing that, and then we felt bad because we're like. We should shut up. This is a good movie. <laughs> like, yeah, we, like it. We, we 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 began it thinking, oh, like maybe it's gonna have like because it's like, oh, you you understand things are going awry kind of early, but then you're like, oh, wait a minute, like no, what's like, I don't like this guy, and like Ethan Hawke is like he, he's, he's you know he's, he's duped, but you're like you feel empathy for him, and the oh god, what's uh, the father's name? Uh, the, Albert Finney. Is who plays. Albert Finney. Yep. Yeah, Albert Finney is fantastic. Big fish, and, Albert Finney. Yeah, and you're just like, oh boy, <clears throat> and, and, and like, yeah, it, I, that that is a very unsung movie, I think, in a lot of ways. It's like, it, and it, it it clearly just shows, it's like, he people would come at that point, I think, to him with any kind of dynamic type role, and be like, yep, like you know, like again, you you see what he's capable of doing, and he never got. He never got typecast as a specific type of again person or character theater, or thing. Theater background, all theater background. Theater background, like I, and, and I think and the a, best a character actor of, a, of of the highest order. Yes, like he, he's not he's not your he's not your you know, Hollywood big big name draw star name, 
But if you need something, someone to act the crap out of this, he's got it, and you know he can do it. And he can so. do it in the short window because the Big Lebowski, not a huge role, but a very memorable nope. role, right? There. So he knows he knows his he knows his lane, and he knows how to <laughs> occupy a lot of attention in a small space. And I, I, I'm a big proponent of the if 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 I know you've come from a theater background. I am more. I, I, I it, there's just a different caliber of acting than somebody who's trying to get into Hollywood because like I'm going to be an actor and it's like he's he's an actor's actor, right? You know, yeah. like he, he makes he makes human connections. Like you you re, you relate to him as a human being, not not necessarily as like the character he is or like the identify like. I don't think there's a, a character he's ever portrayed that will like be on t-shirts and coffee mugs or whatever. It's like it's not like that's not his that's not his end end goal of anything like that. But his characters have resonance and they have, you know, a real humanity and a personality to them. Even if they're not sympathetic like in if they're not sympathetic people, they're bad people. Uh or like they're flawed like there's other like owning Mahoney and things like that where it's like, okay, these are flawed people. These or like happiness, Jesus Christ. Like these are bad people. <laughs> and like like these are like like un un irredeemably bad people, but you but you understand them. They're not caricatures. They're not, they're not blown out. And granted, that's also the, the writer director selection of the things he chose to do. He was very smart with that. And he like, you mentioned John C. Riley, and like, I love John C. Riley, and John C. Riley is a fantastic actor and he can bop in and out to serious, to comedic stuff. But for a good decade there, John C. Riley was just crazy comedy stuff. Oh and just, yeah. Like, that's, that, that's what I'm going to do for a while. And you know what? Power to him his choice to do it. And I feel like Philip Seymour Hoffman could have easily done that. If you just kept on with like the big Lebowski train and like the, the thing, like he did, fan, he could do fantastic comedy and, and nuanced comedy and stuff. He could have done that. He went in the direction of like, I'm not going one direction. I'm going in a million. And like, yeah, Charlie was his war. He's hilarious. And like, he was just so good at, at being able to diversify himself so many ways. And yeah, I don't know if we've if we've really had that many people other than kind of John, like I could say kind of like kind of John C. Riley. Well, uh, I know, mean Daniel Day Lewis in a way you could say it, but more like he's more of a method dude and all that. But like extremely versatile people, I don't know a ton like him. There is, so. I and I mean to say his name is probably ludicrous and I'll be cast down, but I I can separate a craft from an actor and his personal. Um, shittiness. So Just spit it out. <laughs> it's, it's it's Kevin Spacey. Like I know, th- there I is that, that, there is yeah. really no, like there's two guys who can stand in that category, and it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and Kevin Spacey who just and both theater actors again, right? Mm-hmm. One of them just abused the people he worked for, and he's a fucking royal heel, and that's that. But I'll just say it for the record: uh, having great talent doesn't make you a good person. No, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't. Just, it, just so everyone knows. Yeah, just so everyone it's, knows. it's <laughs> and it's a shame when great talent is wasted on a huge, like a, a horrible human being. It's even worse because it's believe, like now I. Me, it's not just it's not just Hollywood. It can happen on a micro level. Yeah, I, I know great musicians and great comedians who are terrible people. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know it's yeah. it's not a it's not it's not a, yeah it's an industry wide thing. Uh, on to let's let's close this out here because um we we, <laughs> we can go i know we can go and harden no, paint on go. this 
Um, but it's it's another scene stealer of his. Um, he's a voice on a phone for a good part of it, and then he gets his haircut, and then he yells <laughs> two words better than anybody. I don't think there's more of a more YouTube, and this is opinion, not fact, but I can't imagine any like it's a very popular YouTube scene of a, of an exchange between two individuals, which changes from like somebody traveling a long distance, which we're referring to the Adam Sandler, Philip Seymour Hoffman yelling exchange over the phone in Paul Thomas Anderson's punch drunk love, uh, starring Adam yeah. Sandler, Emily Watson and Hoffman. If you avoided it because you are a purist and you like Adam Sandler, it is such a shame that you've never seen this movie. Um, it really is. It really, really is. It's where Adam extends his acting chops and people start to realize why like Spanglish came after that. Like his more serious roles, funny people came after that. Um, but punch drunk love is it's basically, it's a psychologically troubled novelty supplier is nudged towards a romance with an English woman all the while being extorted by a phone sex line run. <laughs> I can't even read this straight. It's such a weird <laughs> premise when you actually say it out loud right. what the movie is. Like, that's a movie? <laughs> a phone sex line run by a crooked mattress salesman and a pur- and purchasing <laughs> stunning amounts of pudding. Like, that is, it's one of those cutesy, fun, weird, it's very sincere at its in its core, right? It's weird, but... I, I was. I was very happy the first time that someone recommended I watch it. They didn't tell me anything of what it was about. Yeah, because like because I, I didn't because I didn't see it when it came out in theaters. I saw it like years later, and I was just like, oh, it's that weird Adam Sandler serious movie. And they're like, listen, like I'm not going to tell you he's a great actor, but it's a great performance and it's a great movie. See it. I'm like, what's it about? It's like, Shh, just you see shouldn't it. Have asked me that. Just see it. Just see it. <laughs> like, just see it. And just like, yeah, it that would be you. what I would yeah. say to anybody else. Like you, you gave the synopsis, and people were like, "What? Who cares?" See it anyway. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me, I don't know why I'm so coffee today. Uh, well, I'm sure there's, everyone's going to assume why, but that is definitely. Ah, not. you're at home. We're on the phone. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's probably the, the. It's yeah. I definitely smoked something earlier. Allergies. Move yes, on. <laughs> that's totally allergies. Um, but the, he is. He's very short in this movie. There's not a lot of performance out of him. But what does come is one of the most pivotal toe to toe mono a mono screaming <laughs> fight scenes that I think if you did a top 10 would easily be number one in, in my books. Oh, yeah. um, and all it is, is <laughs> it's one line. It's shut up, <laughs> shut up, shut the fuck up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, you know? And, <laughs> but there it's one of those acting exercises, obviously where like they give you the, you're, you're fed a line. And then you have to convey emotion just in two words as many different times as you can. And he nails it, right? Like he is all yeah. over the map. Like, all the all the credit to P.T. Anderson, all that, all that said. But that scene would have fallen dead on its face or would not be remembered at all if it wasn't for, I'd say both of them, but mostly Phil T. Warren. Mostly him, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it, like there is a, there's a documentary I used to watch all the time. Um, when I say used to watch all the time, when I, work and i do visual art home i will often throw on documentaries i've watched a million times before in the background sure yeah and it's just called it's just called fuck and it's a documentary about the word fuck uh and and like its etymology and like popular uses and and like the history of the censorship of it and all that (laughs) and one the one scene they use which i to me it's like the shut up the shut up part is great but there's the one part that i love even more than that which is kind of the nuance weird hyper nuance of where Adam Sandler is like, oh, you go fuck yourself. And then Phil T. Marvin was just like, I don't know, it's like, oh. And he's like composing himself. Yes. And he's like, hmm. 
and then and then he's like about to say something and then he just like it bubbles out of him he's like fuck you're so fuck like he like he has to scream that first before he continues talking like it's the guttural i have to say this before i say anything else and it's like so mad so furious that it's like yeah i'm not even talking that's just the noise that came out of me i'm like <laughs> yeah i get it i get it <laughs> like cool it's so it's just yeah. a magical portrayal of of bringing intensity you're seeing from both of them too because mm-hmm. it's also the first time that you really see adam sandler crack on any real heavy emotional level right like shabadoo-ba-doo is not yeah you know it, and it, like going to netflix and even in and, that movie at that point he's very he's very meek and kind of just like things happen around him at that point he's finally asserting himself yeah right and like and, it, and it's and it's coming <laughs> out uncomfortably but at the same point like he's happy it's coming out a little bit and it's like all these things are coming out versus Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is just an angry bastard. Who, I'm sure this isn't the first time he's been that mad at someone before. And like, you, you can tell he's in over his head because he's dealing with a very dangerous, uh, irrational man. <laughs> I would describe him as a, a, a sleazy mattress salesman, phone sex line operator. Like, yeah, not, not a good dude, um, but a fascinating man. Um, but yeah, it's it's very very interesting. And there's one tiny thing. There there is that scene that I love as well too. Have you ever? Do you ever have your? Yeah, but excuse me. Uh, ever seen it on DVD? Like if you ever watched the DVD special features of it? No. No. Uh, there is an outtake uh, that was going to be a mattress commercial. Really. Uh, featuring Phil, uh, which was Phil Seymour Hoffman, where he's on the roof of the mattress uh, place. And there is a truck with like a bunch of mattresses stacked on top of it, and he's playing a guitar. And I forget the lines. Is like, yeah, you guys want to rock out? Come on down to whatever mattresses. And he jumps off the roof on top of the mattresses and falls off the top of it and falls like I want to say like twenty feet and hits the ground. It's a real thing that happened. Yeah, I'm gonna find that. Philip Seymour Hoffman in this weird ass outtake where they did it like, oh Jesus, Christ. like he like and he's holding a, like an electric guitar and like look it up. It's insane. Like, it's so crazy. Yeah, no, I'm totally And, uh, yeah, that. kudos to him for doing that. Um, <laughs> and it's like this weird outtake where they're like, yeah, we were going to have a commercial on in the background, but that happened, so we just didn't bother. But people need to see this. <laughs> well, so, let's, yeah. uh, let's, let's end this whole set of, of glorious bromancing over Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> on his Oscar win and, um, a movie that is filmed in our hometown, Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is now a fucking hotbed up until COVID, uh, but a hotbed of, of movie. <laughs> nowhere's a hotbed anymore. Yeah, so nowhere. Everything's a hotbed of COVID, but um, yeah. for those of you who may not know, Winnipeg is becoming a very, a central and very popular destination to film movies. Lots of great ones have been filmed here, um, but Capote was one of the big ones that was filmed way back in the day. Um, which is uh, written uh, written by Dan Futterman uh, and Gerald Clark, directed by Bennett Miller, starring Kathleen Turner, Clifton Collins Jr., Chris Cooper, and obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman, which is based on the story in 1959 where Truman Capote learns of the murders of the Kansas family and decides to write a book about the case, which is the story of In Cold Blood. And while doing so, Capote forms a relationship with one of the killers, Perry Smith, who is on death row. So it takes you, it's a period piece. It's a bio, it's a biography. If you haven't seen it, if you have, then you know what I'm talking about and we can move on. Uh, 
it's I think it's his first time going with a voice. I don't he's always been himself, right? This is how well, I where sound. he was where he's purely <clears throat> like playing character. Like, a, a, a character, a real person that existed yep. and trying to and trying to be them, like Which straight is... up, like with a voice and the mannerisms and all that kind of stuff. Where it's not necessarily he's adding his own interpretation to a character. Maybe even if he did play historical people in the past, this one's like, oh, I have to act like I'm Truman Capote. But yeah, and and looked and and you do right. Like it's you can't get away if you're going to tackle that. Now you're tackling, you know, because imitation is obviously the biggest form of flattery so he's going after not only a very weird character like uh, capote was a guy who he he didn't give harper lee any credit when the book got published like he was an absolute dick he used her for all the research but then when it came time to fess up and say who was what in the book um gone was where she could or she was gone she was gone where she couldn't be found uh, stop trying to say smart things, Michael. But what's what's very interesting about it is is that his he really does understand. Like he's acting as the way Capote acts, but his sympathy towards the killer is very creepy, which is a different sense of creepy than like there, there's 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 multiple levels of some of the same emotions and some of the same mm-hmm. intention, which I think is why it's 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 what won him a fucking Oscar, right? Yeah. It's it's very much a like, you know, you, you don't you don't want to go straight up and say like, oh, it's you know, like, I, I the term Oscar bait type of thing, yeah, 100%. feels very like like you 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 feel it as like, eh, yeah, like the moment I saw the Revenant, I'm like, all right, <laughs> like I feel like it's great movie, great performance. I know why you did it though. You want to fuck an Oscar, um, but a performance like this, like you, you watch it and you're like, oh well, this is the best performance I've seen this year. You just, you would have to admit it. I, I, I'm sure there are other great performances that year, but you're like, you watch and you're like, oh yeah, it's, it's you. It's this. It, it has to be. Where you're like, yeah, like, because anyone, even if you didn't even know who Truman Capote was, you're like, okay, he's nailing Capote. He's, he's, he's got that down. And yeah, you just need to see a quick comparison and be like, okay, I don't know who the writer is, but I definitely can see but where it is. He also, it. he lost 40 pounds for the role too. Like that was mm-hmm. one of, cause he's always been a big guy, right? Right. Big guy sees a big guy coming from me. And mm-hmm. so he's never really had to, he's Hollywood is not kind to unattractive people. Right. So, and I mean, mm-hmm. that's not to say that you can't, you know, I don't, I, there's a lot to unpack with what I just said, but what I'm saying is character is, actors, man, they, they need them. <laughs> they, they do need them. Right. But he has transcended what it means to be a character actor coming from exactly. being just a character actor. And that's what I think Capote was, you know, for him. And like, it, it, it very much looks like he doesn't go after staying inside of the box, which is what an actor is supposed to do. They make the box bigger as they go so that they can claim what they can and can't do. Um, but at that point it was like, I'm, I very much feel that Capote is him saying this is one, it's a swan song. It's, uh, <clears throat> I would, I would go so far as to say like a movie like Capote doesn't even get made unless an actor like Philip Seymour Hoffman exists in the first place. Like you, you, you couldn't have it pulled off the way it was pulled off unless you had a, an actor that strong. I would like, same thing with like, probably there will be blood. Like you, you that movie wouldn't even get made in the way it was, if you didn't have an actor like Daniel Day-Lewis, like you need an actor that just like, 
lives in this character, lives in this movie. It, it, it feels like the whole world is an extension of their performance in a way. It's like, it's like rather than being a side character, it's like you're front and center and it all revolves around you and the way you act and the way your mannerisms like play off things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. And like you, you don't get that too often because it's very dangerous, but like you don't know if your actor is up, up to something like that a lot of the time, unless you have absolute confidence in them. And I think at that point, people had absolute confidence in Philip Seymour Hoffman to pull it off. And I'm sure it was incredibly difficult, but he did it. Um, lesser actors wouldn't. And yeah, it's it's very it's a very, very impressive performance. And, you know, see it not just because it was made in Winnipeg. See it because yeah. it's good. <laughs> yeah, see it because it won a fucking Oscar for somebody. See it yeah, yeah. Don't take <clears throat> our word for it. Because <laughs> it's a very dark story that is very interesting to watch somebody true, true crime is very big right now and like yes it's like yeah it's like it, it's it's something that at the time i don't think really had that much of a uh, that much eyes on it and and things like that but now like it, it, it is a true crime story and at, at sort of a i wouldn't even say at its core it is peripheries it's very much a true crime story uh at, at its core it's more about like the human element of him writing and learning about the guys and getting into like you know not incredibly great you know friendships relationships with them and it's like yeah it's it's a it's a fascinating thing to like if you have that kind of macabre sense sensibility about yeah. you you can probably grab a lot more from it than maybe other people would, which is just the performances it's very fascinating and uh yeah it's an incredible like you know in cold blood i mean if you've never read the book if that's also incredible like writing as well too it's like they could they, they've i'm sure they've made several movies about in cold blood yeah, there or, was a TV movie made or, about or, it. I know this was. Yeah. I think there's another. Well, In Cold Blood is an actual movie. I think. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm Anthony, like, the movie's name sounds familiar. I think Anthony yeah. Edwards is in it, actually. Like Anthony Edwards from ER days. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, but um, no, definitely. Like, if, if that one needs, if you're if you're if you're listening to a whole podcast about Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're like, what's this Capote? Like, come on, it's Capote. Well, yeah, uh, that's why I decided. <laughs> I was that's, like, that's the that's the big one. I'd probably say. That that's that's like he's probably going to be most known for. I think probably when he passed, I was like actor of Capote. That, that, that's probably the main one. That's what you want. Um, yeah, that's that's at the top of your that's at the yeah. top of your, your resume for sure. If only for character limit. Yeah. Short right. This but, is, uh, this, but I can I can I can go to this and anything in between. So call me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm versatile. I'm not sure if you've heard. Um, uh, while we were talking, I just looked up uh, look up Mattress Man commercial on YouTube to watch Philip Seymour Hoffman falling off. Perfect. Um, I'll post yeah, it on the it, website. Okay. Yeah. I, and I exaggerated. It's probably about 15 feet, but he looks very hurt. <laughs> 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 but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> well, dude, I would, I would, I know we had a bunch of other shit to cover, but I, uh, I unfortunately have to get to uh, some other things to get my day going here. But, oh, yeah. No worries. This, this was a fucking pleasure, man. Like no problem I, at all. I've I've been wanting to focus like we we did director on this one. We've now done actor. So let's see how much we can play with this going forward and and bring it back. But you uh, you thank you for bringing it like you always do. And, no, no trouble uh, at all, man. I uh, if anybody is a first time listener uh, and you want to send us a email. Uh, we can be reached at therealdebaters at gmail dot com, which is the place where you can send us ideas for the show like this. Uh, or you can tell us that we're wrong and you need to correct us. We'll also listen to that too. We're, we're big boys. We can handle criticism. 
Uh, mm. Follow us online at Real Debaters under Twitter and Instagram, and just search the Real Debaters on Facebook for our Facebook page. And you can find us online at our website, therealdebaters.podbean.com. Uh, JD, where can they find your art? I know we, I know you do visual art. Tell them where you can find it. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at JD Renault. That's J D R E N A U D. Uh, and go to theplaceholdershow.com where you can see uh, examples of stuff I've done in the past. I'm uh, currently closed up shop uh, due to the current state of the world. I feel it is uh, in my best interest and customers' best interest <laughs> to just uh, put a little pause on things for the time being. But uh, when the world opens up again, uh, I'll be open up again to start uh, cutting up posters, making art, and getting getting stuff into your uh, your cor- or your your isolation stations, making you know, your walls on the floor. It's mixed media, right? Like you do. What do you? It's mixed media, right? Yeah, uh, my main my main deal is I get like movie posters and like literal physical posters and uh, cut them up and abstract them and create new shapes and new forms out of them. Uh, I've been doing it for about seven years now and have veered off into like calendars and art books and art prints and all this other stuff and all all different manner uh, of stuff. But uh, it's a real real physical items and art that you can have in your house. <laughs> and uh, I take commissions. If you got old uh, crap you can't part with but you wouldn't put up in your house anymore give it to me i'll chop it up and make it something new and then it has a new idea a new context for you um but yeah that's 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 my main that's my main deal uh live performing question mark uh but we'll see what happens in the near future maybe that'll happen again that's too. coming back but, uh, we just got to be patient yeah man I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a very patient boring man I'll, I'll, <laughs> i got i got plenty of things to watch and things to keep occupied and, and things things are gonna be good folks don't you worry about it All right, man. Well, uh, stay good, stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Stay sane, brother. You're right.